Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. I have our Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by Jim Williams of Forbes, as we'll be talking about the Pac-12 media deal and what's going on there, as well as the uh, Big 12's future with their uh, conference expansion hopes and TV media rights and in-depth discussion with Jim Williams when he joins us, making his debut on the Jones Report in just a few moments from right now. Plus, we'll have Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisor Group, as well as our Tom Fullery Store of the Week at the end of today's show. As always, Thomas Bridges is here with me. Tom, how are we doing? Oh, you know, another week in the books and uh, gearing up for some NBA playoff action here. Uh, here's, you know, you know, now that college basketball is done, kind of like, well, you know, we're, we're getting almost, we're a one NBA playoffs away from uh, going into the annual uh, one, you like to call it Summer Jones, and two, just the uh, the slow season. The uh, the old, we're, we're very close to the uh, let's draft random shit show. <laughs> yes, we're, we're close to that point. Uh, right. <laughs> We do our uh, our summer draft season and summer Jones is here, all that, but we're at least enjoying the moment anyway right now. Uh, but I got to tell you, uh, Easter was uh, pretty good. Had a good visit home uh, with the family and everything. But uh, now, Tom, uh, I'm actually here in Dallas this week. I'm not going anywhere for the first time in a while, but I'm off to Talladega next week. So – uh, I'll be I'll be singing some Eric Church next week for sure. Shake and bake, baby. Yeah, you're gonna have to uh, shotgun a Paps Blue Ribbon for me. I'm not drinking Bud Light right now. I can tell you that much. Oh Lord, <laughs> <laughs> golly! Yeah, what if it was free? <laughs> well, you can't say no to free. I can be bought. So, um, but. I'm not I'm not buying uh Bud Light or Anheuser Busch right now, but that's a that's another story. Yeah, if, you, if you know you know, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, um, we're gonna start calling you Kid Rock. <laughs> oh man. But uh Tom, we we were just sitting here uh before we were taping the beginning of this show here, watching uh the play in tournament. My Oklahoma City Thunder, nice road win against New Orleans. Thunder or back like they never left. Um, I think this next era of Thunder basketball is going to be even better than the previous era with KD and Russ and everybody. I, I'm I'm so excited. We'll talk more on that in just a bit. But this playing tournament, it was one of those things, Tom, that came out of COVID. Um, they brought it, you know, with COVID as like an equalizer because teams weren't getting to play the same number of games. And now this thing is like so exciting uh you know the 10 and 9 seeds getting one last shot to get in i know you have the controversy with the mavs uh intentionally tanking and not even hiding it and avoiding the play in tournament to lock up their draft pick um and you get a little bit of off time for these other teams as well before they officially begin the playoffs uh you know this weekend here i got to tell you uh i don't I don't necessarily think the NBA needed the play-in tournament because all these teams are probably going to get eliminated in the first round anyway, but 
Uh, I like the excitement element of it, even just for the moment anyway. It's it, it, it's cool to spotlight these teams at least for a couple days before they get eliminated a week or two later. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, and it's fun to watch just because it's, you know, at least, you know, tonight. I mean, we – I guess it'll be last night by the time it's hearing this, but, you know, getting to watch two, you know, winner-go-home games. and. I'm trying to think. They said it earlier on the Bulls-Raptors. It's like the first time a 10 seed, uh, you know, and this hasn't been going on for that long, but it's like the first time the 10 seed beat the 9. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then, hell, I went to an NBA play-in game a couple of years ago. I went to Spurs at Memphis against the Grizzlies, and it obviously didn't work out for my Spurs, and it still hasn't worked out, but obviously we traded the farm. So, um, and that was exciting. There wasn't a whole lot of people there at the FedEx Forum in Memphis when I went. Um, and it was still a fun atmosphere um, to to be at and to see it. Um, I don't know if that was the first year the play-in happened or what. Is this the third year for the play-in? Yeah, it started uh, the COVID season, the uh, 2020 season Fun. in the bubble. Right. Um, but it's continued since then. Yeah. Because right. it was 2021 was the first, right? Yeah, 2021 would have been the first um, play-in. Bubble year. Right. Right. Because I got to go to it because that was like a year and a month after COVID first hit, but they were still doing the, you know, different. I'll be crazy. honest here, Tom, like – you know, the Thunder as the 10 seed or the T-Wolves, whatever it may be. Or you go to the other side, the Bulls and, you know, the uh, the whoever. Hawks. The, 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 the no, Hawks, thank you. No, whoever the Hawks beat. The uh, yeah, the Heat. So, yeah, the Bulls and the Heat, yeah. None of those teams are are beating the ones or the two seeds in their respective conferences. They would be lucky to get a win or two in those series. Not going to happen. But uh, it's it's exciting. It's fun, at least for these couple of days before we get to the inevitable. I mean, does it make a difference at all, really, for how the playoffs is going to shake out? No, not really. But it gives us something uh, in, in, interesting. Uh Set a moment in the sun for these guys. I'm okay with it, even though it doesn't really move the big needle that much. Well, I think it makes it, uh, you know, for the mid, mid, uh, middle of the pack teams like the, the four, five, and six seeds to make sure they kind of lock in their spots so they don't have to play, um, you know, that extra game or even more than that to be, you know, the seven, eight, nine, or the seven or eight seed. So I, I do think it does more for kind of the middle of the pack of the playoffs to make sure you secure at least the six or higher. So right. there's no, you know, there's, so there's no, um, I don't know, lack of enthusiasm about the end of the season. If you already are kind of guaranteed uh, one of those spots, you know, it makes it, it makes it so those teams have to still be on their A game down the stretch. Right. 
Um, let's uh, let's look at these upcoming playing games. Then I want to look at the NBA playoff picture as a whole of what we have coming up after the Thunder got the win against the Pelicans. That'll set up the Thunder taking on the T-Wolves on Friday night. The uh, T-Wolves, of course, just got, you know, in, in a game that they should have lost by more to the Lakers, they end up losing in overtime, 108-102. Um, and now they come home to take on the Thunder in this play-in game here. And the Thunder, with the way that they played, the way that they battled, uh, on Wednesday night with the Pelicans and pulled things out there at the end with a great night from SGA with 32 points and 31 from Josh Giddy here. Tom, uh, I-, I lean towards, maybe I'm biased, but I lean towards Oklahoma City to get this one done in, in Minnesota. I know Minnesota has a has a size advantage here, but uh, I-, I feel like momentum's important here. I think Oklahoma City's going to get a lot of confidence getting that road win against New Orleans. Yeah, I think so too. And then, just in general, the the Timberwolves. Uh, you know, I don't believe that Rudy Gobert will be playing that game. Um, and you know, the Thunder early on in that game against the Pelicans. I'll tell you who was just eating, who was just cooking. Jonas Valanciunas was killing them uh, on the boards. And you know, that's kind of one thing. Uh, the, the Thunder have struggled against are kind of the bigger guys. And obviously, you know, next year might be different. They'll have hopefully even a more bulked up Chet Holmgren to to be that guy. But, um, you know, they, um, they, they battled through that and made it back. And like I said, against, you know, the, the Timberwolves, probably no Rudy Gobert. They're dealing with that, all that BS that happened. And, you know, him and Kyle Anderson got into it. The Timberwolves have not uh, even got close to meeting the expectations, and they essentially wasted all those draft picks to the Jazz for Rudy Gobert. So with all that going on uh, and the Thunder coming off a good road win against a a, a pretty good and tough and diversified Pelicans team in New Orleans, yeah, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if they uh, make the eighth seed only to lose to the Nuggets in the first round. Yeah, I think so. Uh, should be a lot of fun. And SGA and Giddy, and you mentioned Chet, when when he comes back next year, future's bright in Oklahoma City. A lot to be excited about. Felt like tonight was a coming out party for the Oklahoma City Thunder for this uh, next generation. Meanwhile, on the Eastern Conference side, Tom, let's, uh, let's talk about that there. The uh, Bulls with a huge road win against the Raptors, 109-105. That means that Chicago will travel to Miami to take on the Heat. The uh, Heat coming off a 11-point defeat at home to Atlanta. And uh, now they come into this game, you know, it's win or go home for either side here. And, you know, the the Heat, this team, Tom, you know, going into this whole ordeal, you know, the the Heat were an eight seed, um, you know, and – or actually, I took them back. They were the seventh seed. They had the highest seed of anybody out there. And now they're on the brink of elimination here. Um, what what on earth happened to the Heat? The, the Heat, on paper, should have been just fine going into this playing tournament. Uh, they, they shouldn't have put themselves in this position. Yeah, and, and, you know, that's why, you know, and I'm sure we'll see, especially if the 
if the Bulls do beat the Heat, I'm sure we'll see. Hey, really, really, definitely. I, I would, I would, um, I would put some money down that we'll see a disgruntled player, you know, maybe a uh, a fan with influence talk about how bullshit the play-in is. LeBron, if you remember, a couple of years ago, tweeted his uh, his uh, dissatisfaction um, with the play-in tournament. But like I said before, it you know it it adds a uh, a different element to those kind of the middle of the pack teams where you know if you don't want to play the play-in tournament, you better lock your shit up and get the six seed or higher. You know, or if you get put in that position, you better be ready to uh, play for your basketball life. Or it's, uh, you know, literally wasting a couple of games before you get on the plane to go to Cancun. Right. Well, and, and we saw the way that Zach Levine took over in that game uh, against Toronto there. Um, watch out. I mean, he might be he might be ready for round two there against Miami. Oh, definitely so. I mean, he... You know, didn't have a very good first half, and then exploded in the in the second half, and had a, a hell of a game. And you know, DeRozan didn't play that bad either. Um, I don't know if you watched that game. DeRozan's daughter, you could hear her on the broadcast yelling uh, when the Raptors shot free throws, and obviously it worked because they missed eighteen of them. Um, so, in in the Raptors, meanwhile, you want to talk about the Bulls having a chance maybe against the Heat. You want to talk about coaches getting fired? Maybe Nick Nurse on the hot seat, or maybe it's all she wrote because, uh, you know, they lost an uh, 18, 19 point lead and literally blew that game. Didn't have any interior defense. Uh, you know, it was all candies and rainbows when they had Kawhi Leonard and won the championship. And now, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's the end of Nick Nurse and, uh, Toronto after that defeat and, and not only for that you're at home you're playing against the Bulls who to be honest with you at least in my uh basketball fan opinion Bulls are kind of dog shit um <laughs> I mean I mean they have some stretches of good games but they're honest I'm you know you want to talk about another experiment and and trade draft picks and things that hasn't really worked out that real I mean Obviously, now they're playing, you know, they go to South Beach and, and play to make the eighth seed, but, um, you know, not impressive there. And, and, you know, if you're a Toronto fan, that has to sing Evan DeRozan come back and uh, literally eliminate you from the playoffs. Right. Oh, it's a, it's a very good point. Yeah. I think you're right about that. Um, looking at just the overall playoff picture, and we kind of talked about this last week, but just kind of, to elaborate here, let's start at the Western Conference. Um, Tom, I still feel like Denver and Phoenix are the teams to beat Golden State. I, I wouldn't want to face. I think that's not a great matchup for Sacramento there in that first round. I know that, you know, the, the media hype train is still on the Lakers. You know, the, the Lakers could do something. We know that they're going to be in, that they'll be in the seventh seed. But for me, those are the two teams I'm watching, Denver and Phoenix. I would I would be surprised if the team coming out of the West is not one of those two. Yeah, I agree. I'd be shocked if it wasn't Denver or Phoenix uh, either. And, you know, we've mentioned this, and I've been a huge proponent of, uh, of, of NBA having a script like they joked about in the NFL long before 
the NFL script thing was ever brought up this season. I always think the NBA has has done well enough and has grown. Um, joke, I say jokingly a script, but they, when I say script, NBA script, the NBA has made their money off of literally throwing in, you know, throwing in the drama and the storylines into the spotlight. And if uh, if my fake eight ball script reads right, I could see Denver versus the Sixers in the finals for Jokic and Embiid. Since you know the we we talked about this what last week about the MVP race and how much um, you know social media and the headlines that scene. Uh, hell, even even Perkins, uh, Kendrick Perkins, that is. Uh, and J.J. Redick had a somewhat falling out over the debate over Embiid and, and Jokic. And I know we're not talking about the Eastern Conference yet, but to your point, I, I agree. It's going to either be Phoenix and, or it's going to be Denver coming out of the West. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think you're right about that. It's going to be one of those two teams. Um, Golden State and L.A., I, I think that they can – they can do damage of some sorts. You know, you could see Golden State make things tough for Sacramento, or maybe the Lakers can get uh, a couple wins against Memphis. But I want to expect them to make either one to make a deep run. But yeah, I, I'm with you. It's Denver and Phoenix, and I think I lean towards Phoenix just because the Joker hasn't been able to do it in playoff time yet, uh, from what we've seen. So. Uh, meanwhile, on the Eastern Conference side now, we know uh, Atlanta will be the seventh seed. That puts them up against Boston. Uh, you know, Obviously, we're waiting to see how the eighth spot goes, whether that's Miami or Chicago, and the winner of that will uh, get Milwaukee. Tom, kind of like what you've been, you and I have been talking about the last uh, few weeks, Milwaukee, Boston, Philadelphia, those are kind of the teams to beat. Um, but, you know, it, it's interesting because Cleveland – with Donovan Mitchell, that's a solid team, but I don't know if they can be elite. The Knicks have been a big surprise this year with the 47 wins they have, but but I I can't expect them to go far. I I, I still think it's it's that those three than everyone else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the other teams, like you mentioned, Donovan Mitchell, they're you know first year running him together. I I like what they've put together this season, and uh, you know think they're a good squad, but I. I don't think they'd have enough gas in the tank, um, you know, against one of the, the those three teams we mentioned prior in Philly, Boston, and and Milwaukee. But and, and the Knicks have been, like you said, kind of a surprise, a good surprise. Um, they've played some quality basketball, and uh, you know, I think that Hawks Boston round one. I think that's going to be a hell of a series. Obviously, still like Boston in that, but um, that has some star power. Um, going into that that first two seven matchup, but um, I mean, yeah, it's got to be those three. I mean, we say all this, right? We say all this and watch it, watch the Thunder beat the Nuggets in the first round, and you know, throw or you know somebody else throw a kink in the gear in the in the Eastern Conference, but uh, you know, it doesn't take a, a, a necessarily a basketball genius or predictor to say, you know, Denver and phoenix or on the eastern side we say well you know the one two or three seed sure but um i mean that's just how 
different these teams are compared to the rest of the playoffs. The, you know, the playoff contenders. There, it's there's there's a the parity's gotten better, but there's a very clear line. There's a demarcation point of where some of these teams are compared to the rest of the uh, playoff field. Yeah, I think so. Um, one more thing uh, on the NBA, then uh, we'll move on. I do want to look back at the Masters here uh, in just a moment. But real quick, Tom, um, Russ says that he and KD have no beef. Uh, they got this series coming up between the Clippers and the Suns. Uh, Tom, I mean, that that's the right thing to say if you're Russell Westbrook. I don't think you want to play that up and draw attention to it in the media, especially considering that he's not the star that he once was, that he was a role player, that, you know, he's a role player now. But even with that said, like, we know that when, when, when Russ gets into game mode, no one is his friend that's on the other side of the court. Like, if – if he's all in it and everything, like I, 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 I expect him to go after KD and and not hold anything back. I mean, he's saying all the right things, but uh, we we've seen Russ when when it comes game time, he kind of gets into character of some sorts. Right. Yeah, I think he could. Uh, I think maybe if he got like a uh, kind of a Russell Westbrook signature dunk in, that he could probably mouth off something to to KD in the moment and you know, bring all that back up. I I wouldn't be shocked if that happened. Yeah, I think so. It's uh, going to be something to follow there for sure. Uh, still a lot more to come uh, here in the Jones Sport as uh, we're going to be talking uh, to Coach Bo later on. Got Tom Fullery on deck. Uh, Jim Williams also going to be here. But uh, at the moment, let's uh, go ahead and uh, look back at the Masters uh, that was. Tom, if you were listening to the show last week, I think – I said at first, you may have agreed with me with John Rahm to win the Masters. I think you picked Brooks just to be different. No, um, I think I, I picked Salatoris, and then obviously, the literally less than twelve hours later, after we recorded the podcast, he backed out due to injury. That's right. And I was that was like I was like, oh, that's great. But uh, I had John Rahm, and Brooks, I, I said, was going to be up there. So uh, I should have put some more money down uh, than uh, last week. That was a missed opportunity. But John Rahm, uh, I'll say this. John Rahm is as good as any golfer in the world right now. Um, hard to root against the guy, too. I know that we've seen some people go to live, and that's really turned some people off. And then we've seen some guys that have talked bad about the live players, and that's turned some people off. John Rahm has kind of just stayed in his lane He's gone out there and just played some great consistent golf. Uh is is a is a good dude. He says all the right things. It's hard to hate John Rahm. John Rahm is a likable guy. And, and he goes out there, I mean, just guns a blazing. I mean, the the guy, I, I was so impressed watching him Sunday, Tom, that, that John Rahm, the moment was not too big for him. Here he was coming into the day behind Brooks Kepka, and he just kept playing consistent, just hitting the necessary shots. And when he got out to that lead, there was speculation about, okay, is is he going to have some bogeys? Is he, you know, going to fold under pressure? But no, he he was up for the challenge, up for the moment. Congrats to John Rahm. I mean, he 
he went out there and he he did his thing there. I, I was very impressed of the the confidence and the poise that John Rom showed. Oh yeah, it was one of the better rounds um, that that I've seen in a while. I mean, he was just that composed, um, almost kind of like meant to be, or you know, Brooks Kepka kind of shit the bed a little bit, and you know, John Rom took the lead, never didn't look back. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome to see. Uh, congrats, John Rom, on getting that done. And and uh, the the other thing I'll say too, we mentioned Brooks was up there. Um, I like Brooks. You like Brooks. He's shown a lot more personality. He's, uh, he's come a long way in the last few years, but Brooks, Tom, I I don't mean to sound like a dick, but let's just be real here. Brooks kind of killed the day on Sunday because of that lead that he gave up. And so fast there, there was no drama on Sunday based on how, how bad he played. It, you know, shooting a 75 in that final round and falling apart so fast the way he did, and John Rahm just dominating. I mean, Brooks Kepka, I, I, I'm not calling him a choke artist or anything because he's won major titles. He's won on that big stage. But, I mean, come on, man. I mean, Brooks just fell apart. And he, he was he was not good on Sunday. The day was was not that you know, entertaining other than just appreciating the dominant golf from John Rahm because Brooks Kepka didn't make it interesting at all. I mean, he just collapsed. Yeah, he did kind of just collapse and, and you know, maybe more credit to John Rahm because he, you know, the course wasn't, you know, that's the Masters, that's Augusta, it's not easy. And so, hell for John Rahm to, you know, be that composed and, you know, come back from what he was like four down at the beginning of the day. Right, and then just to keep that lead and not not falter that away, that was impressive to me. And you know, pressure got too high for Brooks Kepka, and I think maybe Brooks was maybe thinking that, you know, maybe maybe John Ron would slip, maybe, and like you said, maybe hit a couple bad shots, or you know, kind of kind of play back down to to even. And obviously, like I said, just. And, and, you know, John Rom, it seemed like, you know, watching him on that back nine just didn't look back. Just saw the end goal and knew the green jacket was right there and nine holes away and just composed it all the way up until the last putt. And then, you know, obviously celebration time. Um, so it was that was impressive to watch just because, you know, he's he's uh, he's he was he's been an accomplished golfer and always been up there. But, you know, the Masters is obviously different and uh, you know obviously it's it's funny to say that because Brooks Kepka has won the Masters and has been there so you would think that that maybe he could you know would have uh you know maybe would have some more composure but kind of lost it and he said after um that being Brooks Kepka kind of just says you know some things just don't go your way some days but you know for John Rahm they all went right right yeah, absolutely. Uh, a couple more guys I want to talk about here and then some other overarching storylines. Um, first off, Phil Mickelson. Phil shoots a 65 in the final round on Sunday and just looked outstanding. 52 years old. The guy's got arthritis, for crying out loud, and played really well. Finished second. He actually surpassed Tiger 
on the all-time money list uh, for money earned at the Masters uh, in career earnings. And, you know, Phil was was great. Uh, I was happy for Phil. Phil obviously didn't take part in the Masters or the PGA Championship last year with the, with the live stuff going on. He comes in this year and just finished so strong. I mean, if John Rahm would have fallen a few shots back, we might have been talking about Phil Mickelson winning the Masters or going to a playoff or something like that. Phil has not played good golf since he won that PGA Championship two years ago. This was the best golf he's played since then. And I know he's gone through a lot. Um, there's – a lot of discussions been had about Phil and the way that he's been treated by folks within this last year over live and everything. I thought it was a great moment for Phil to get back in the spotlight for what he did with his play, with his positive play and showing that he's not going anywhere too, that Phil was still a force to be reckoned with even at this age. I mean, yeah, it was, it was weird seeing his name, you know, that late on Sunday you know, with all things considered in terms of his health and, you know, where he's, where, you know, how, how long he's been in the game and, you know, just, you know, I shouldn't be surprised, but, you know, I think everybody was kind of surprised, but it was a little different, obviously, because he wasn't on the, you know, he wasn't the, or the leader. He, he kind of worked his way up that Sunday. So he wasn't playing towards the end there. Um, you know, that, late afternoon um but it was interesting seeing his name and and there was a couple times where you know brooks kepka he, he would tie phil mickelson uh and then drop back down and um was interesting to me because it was kind of like a quiet right i mean they didn't i feel like nance touched on it a couple times but you know there was like a weird quietness to it where wouldn't that have been crazy if phil would have had to come back out of the clubhouse after, you know, not, and I don't know what exactly what time he finished, but there was a good like two hour stretch where Phil was in the clubhouse after finishing his final round. And if, if, uh, you know, there had been a, a John Rom Phil Mickelson playoff, um, that would have been sure would have been interesting. Yeah, it, uh, it would have, uh, for sure. Uh, one more guy here, Tiger, he made the cut. He broke the record for most masters in a row without missing the cut. Uh, pretty phenomenal from Tiger just to make the cut. Uh, obviously, he was in a lot of pain, and he ended up, uh, you know, backing out before the final round. Um, I can't blame Tiger for that. He's in a lot of pain right now. You know, he's still recovering from this injury um, and everything here. With that said, Tom, if I think Tiger has shown if he could just find a way to get through this injury, if he can fully recover and get back to feeling normal, which I understand is still hard to do at his age too, but if he can just get healthy, I think Tiger's still got some good golf left in him. I mean, the way that to play with that type of pain and to still make the cut and play better than a lot of guys out there, if Tiger can just get through four rounds and stay healthy – I, I think we still have one more good run in Tiger left in him before he, you know, moves on to the senior tour or whatever. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, I think obviously he wanted to make the cut and I think deep down kind of knew what was at stake, you know, in terms of 
breaking that record. And, you know, as soon as he made the cut, he was like, all right, I'm out. You know, um, there was nothing left. It wasn't like he was going to have a chance at, at winning the Masters even after making the cut. So uh, shout out to him because, you know, I know he'd been playing through pain. For him. It's not the first time he's played through the pain. I mean, he's, I feel like, been in pain for the last three, four, five years, however long. Right. Um, so, but, you know, he's, he's, uh, you know, they, they mentioned him to a lot on the broadcast and, um, you know, they specifically said past prime tiger. And while they're not wrong in a way, what he's doing and knowing that he's playing through pain still, at least in my opinion, quietly adds to the legacy of tiger woods. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Uh, I think you're right about that. A lot was made going into the weekend about the live versus PGA thing. Uh, the live guys, they held their own. Uh, three of the top five finishers from live. I thought that was pretty impressive for uh, for live to, to, to represent like the way that they did. But I got to tell you, I, I was disappointed watching the TV coverage. Uh, you know, we didn't hear from Phil Mickelson on Sunday uh, after – you know, he was in second place, had a chance to win it, and we never heard from Phil Mickelson. Now, as far as we know, he could have declined an interview. But CBS, it did seem like at times, was kind of ignoring the live guys and giving special treatment to the PGA guys and everything here. I mean, you know, I, I understand that CBS has a obligation to the PGA Tour and everything here, but, I mean, I, I, I just want to watch these guys coexist and to have, you know, some good competitive golf and to be treated fairly here. I, I think, Tom, at, at some point, you know, we can get to where we can have some type of match play event between live and PGA guys that that could that could happen down the line. But the way things are so contentious right now and the way the networks are treating us and everything, it, it's so way over the top here. I mean, I, I, I was disappointed that a guy like Phil just got ignored the way he did. Yeah, I can see that. It would be really cool to see have a match play a PGA versus Live. It would be kind of like a Ryder Cup style um, series. That that would be that would be a lot of fun to watch, actually. But yeah, I can see, I can see. You, you know, it, it was pretty evident if if you follow golf at all and know the PGA versus Live and the drama that went down there. There, you could definitely tell from the broadcast where where who where the loyalty lies, you know, who's, who's had chips in the, who had eggs in the basket and who didn't. Right. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Uh, we're going to be joined, uh, coming up next, uh, here on the show, uh, Jim Williams is going to be here. So we'll talk about the PAC 12 and media rights, uh, situation, you know, in the big 12's angle at it, but, uh, that kind of brings us to our big 12 breakdown this week. And, uh, Tom, uh, leading us right into Jim's conversation, I think we have to talk about this uh, stuff about Colorado here. Uh, on Monday, Andrew Marshad of the uh, New York Post, terrific sports media columnist, one of the best out there, uh, put out a report that with the Pac-12 pushing back their media rights deadline, uh, they were hoping to have a deal by the end of March Madness. Obviously, no TV deal got done. And they're pushing back to late spring, early summer when they'd like to have a TV deal. So they're kind of moving the goalposts at this point. 
And Marshad uh, said, watch out for Colorado to be making a move that they could be the next ones. And the noise from everything we've heard is as loud as it's ever been before about Colorado. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about other teams and all that, but just looking at Colorado, you know, here was a program, Tom, that they thought the Big 12 was on the brink of collapse. It sounded like them, OU, OSU, Texas, Texas Tech, and Texas A&M were all going to go to the Pac-12. And I remember at the time, strategically, Colorado was going to go first, so they wouldn't have to invite Baylor. And uh, sure enough, Colorado went, the others didn't go with them. They were kind of looking out for themselves. They they made that jump before anyone else. And now here we are, fast forward. It's interesting how history kind of repeats itself. Here we are in 2023. And of those Pac-12 teams potentially looking to make a move, it is Colorado that's back at the forefront again, looking at possibly coming home to the Big 12 Conference. I know Colorado football has not been great. Uh, their athletic department as a whole has not been great those last few years. But the brand that Dion has created already at Colorado with what he's doing there, with their prior history, with being in a big market like Denver and everything they bring to the table, uh, I think Colorado would be an awesome addition for the Big 12, and it makes a lot of sense. Um, there's not only more money in the Big 12, but the TV contract, 70% of your games are going to be on linear TV as opposed to streaming. To me, it just makes a lot of sense for Colorado to come home, come back to this league. So what you're telling me is the uh, next week, the uh, headline of the sports page of the Oklahoman will will read uh, the primetime prodigal son returns. You know, uh, we could see that. I mean, I don't know what the timeline exactly looks like, um, but it seems like things are moving towards that direction where Colorado would would likely be the first domino to fall. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't know that we uh, – well, maybe, maybe. I think, obviously, you know, and you hit the nail on the head saying what type of brand Deion Sanders has already turned in Colorado into. And I, to, I mean, and to be fair to Deion Sanders, you know, if, if he's not there, I don't think we're even talking about Colorado or it's not as a big deal. Well, it, and I think you're right about that. What I would say too, Tom, um, you know, they already know they got a good thing going with Dion with what he's done recruiting wise and the talent he's brought in. Um, I think if you're Colorado, you have to be proactive in the sense of, okay, we got this superstar head coach that is building a brand for our university and doing all these things. I don't think Dion wants to be a part of a sinking ship. Um, you don't want to be a part of a failing Pac-12 if they're going to lose members and Colorado all of a sudden doesn't have anywhere they can go. Because um, then, why, why would Dion stay at that point then? And every all the momentum you've built up is gone just like that. I, I think that Colorado has to be aggressive not only for what's best for their football program, but even though he's never coached a game yet, I think they got to be thinking about what do we have to do to keep Deion Sanders around here and keep him happy? I mean, yeah, they're trying to cash their check at the right time. I don't blame them. 
Yeah. Uh, I think that makes sense. Now, as I'll, I'll, I'll say this, though, Tom. Colorado by itself probably would not work if somebody else has got to come with. And, you know, of the options out there, you know, you obviously have the other four corner schools, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah have been talked about. But San Diego State's gained a lot of momentum, especially what they did in March Madness and what they're doing with their facilities and representing, you know, Southern California. We know the S, the uh, the Pac-12 is interested in them and everything here. I mean, I, I'd be very tempted. If the, if the money works, if you can get the TV networks to pay you uh, where it doesn't lose you money, where you could bring in San Diego State, if, if they're the second team with Colorado, if that's what it comes down to, uh, I'm okay with that. Colorado's got to have a running mate. San Diego State, I, I, I could – I could be down for if you're not costing everybody a ton of money. Yeah. I mean, and, and obviously you, you mentioned um, universities trying to, uh, you know, use what they've done to, like I said, cash that check. I mean, no better time than the right now for San Diego State to make a play coming off that final four run. You know, you want to join a conference you want to go somewhere big, you know, look at Brett Yormack doing what he's doing. You want to join the uh, premier basketball conference in the nation? Well, here's your chance, you know, go cash your check or try at least. And, uh, you know, obviously San Diego State definitely couldn't go alone. So if if I was SDSU, I'm calling uh, calling Colorado and saying, hey, bro, you need you, you, you ready to go? You know, I'm riding. I'm riding that coattail all the way. If well, that's it, the if that's the way to get in, they need to. And and San Diego State kind of needs to uh, sneak in while the door's starting to close. Um, hell, now's the time. I wouldn't be mad at it. Well, I think for this whole Big Twelve, Pac twelve war of sorts, and we'll talk more about it with Jim here in just a second, Tom. But for me, I, I feel like there's there's stages of winning. Okay, the first battle between the Big 12 and the Pac-12 is the media rights deal of who gets the most money. It seems like the Big 12 is well on its way to getting more money than the the Pac-12. So that's a win. Then your next win, Big 12 already, we know, is going to have much more access to be able to be seen. Being on linear TV, about 70% of their contract. Pac-12 is probably going to be between 35 and 50% on linear TV. The majority or at least half of their contracts is going to be streaming. So that's a win. And reputation-wise, Pac-12 has taken some major hits. They have not responded well at all to USC and UCLA leaving. The Big 12 responded really well, and they've rebuilt their brand. And we mentioned just the TV exposure thing. Not only are we talking about – the Big 12 having access to ESPN, ABC, Fox, and FS1. Now you're talking about the Pac-12 being involved with the CW. I mean, the Gilmore Girls uh, we're talking about here. All-American? I mean, like, who, who watches these damn CW shows? Like, are, are you not going to air the pregame show because you got to air an episode of the Gilmore Girls or something here? I mean, is that what you want to associate your league with? That's what we mean by of the Deion Sanders effect and everything of branding and all that. Like, you know, 
what if, Tom, let's say at the end of the day, if nobody moves and nobody comes to the Big 12, if it just doesn't work out this time around, and then we sit back here and say, well, we got more money and our schools have a better TV deal. Well, you were taking less money and you're preempted by an episode of Gilmore Girls and you're on the CW here. I think we all just sit back and laugh a bit and let's we'll say, our, our time will come. We'll see. We'll, we'll have this discussion again here in a few years. The Big 12's already won the battle. Now they're just going for the, the, the knockout punch. I mean, yeah, that would, you know, if if Colorado does come, um, I mean, just the, the Dion branding coming here, then, you know, that at that point, the Pac-12 essentially vacates any uh, any small moral, you know, moral wins, you know, and I think for the Pac-12 low-key getting Deion Sanders and having him build Colorado back up has been a positive, uh, I'll bet a small positive, and one of the only positives for the Pac-12 recently. If they lose that, then, you know, that could be the that could be the final nail in the coffin for them, or at least, you know, starting one. When was what was the last show you think you ever watched on the CW? I can't even tell you a CW show. <laughs> I, you know, I I don't watch. Obviously, I don't watch that much TV if it's not sports. So I'm not a good person to ask that question. But yeah, I, I mean, I yeah, I can't even rattle off a cw show uh let's see while, while we're on this now i'm too invested to see what's on the cw um uh, riverdale uh that was on that was on netflix too though yeah it's a cw show that that was also that moved to netflix after they, they show the ring all right um, let's see last lost girl Powerless, nine hundred two one zero. I know that show. Uh, you I got Lim Golf, um, Empire State, Gotham Knights, The Flash, um, and potentially Pac twelve football. So, oh man. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the Big Twelve is uh, is on fire and things are going well. More with Jim Williams. Uh, We'll get his thoughts on uh, this situation and uh, where we all go from here and uh, what's next for the Big 12, the Pac-12, both. That conversation coming up on the other side. Coach Bo also standing by as well as our Tom Fullery story of the week. All that more coming up next. Stay with us here on the Jones Sport. Joining us now on the Jones Sport this week is Jim Williams from Forbes. He uh, is a media consultant and uh, has been all over the situation with the Pac-12 covering that and also uh, how it affects the Big 12 and been around this business for a long time. We're pleased to bring him in for the very first time to the program. Jim, thanks for joining us. Uh, a pleasure to have you here and uh, to talk about the uh, the landscape of college football uh, as we know it and the media rights situation. It's a pretty fascinating time right now. Yeah, you think? Um, yeah, it's, it is. Um you know, in many ways, we're at an inflection point, okay? In sports, just not just college sports, but sports in general. Um, you've undoubtedly, you and your, your fine uh, listeners and viewers have um, paid attention to what's going on with valleys, right? 
Right. Dallas has got that situation where they filed for bankruptcy. Uh, I believe it was just yesterday that uh, Warner uh, came out and basically struck a deal with Major League Baseball to say, look, we're out of the regional sports business. Um, we've got the uh, three three major contracts coming up, the NBA contract, the CFP contract, and then Notre Dame. So <clears throat> uh, we are, as I said, an inflection point. And yeah, it is a, it's, it's a pretty challenging time uh, to, uh, to be in, the, in uh, negotiating media rights at this point. Well, in, in your background, Jim, uh, you've been covering this a long time. You, you've seen it all. 45 years. Uh, 45 years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, with, with what you've seen, how, uh, how different is it now, comparatively speaking, or, or are we seeing some things kind of repeat themselves again? I, I think the latter. Uh, we're seeing things repeat themselves. Uh, we're seeing where, <clears throat> excuse me, we're seeing where a lot of guys um, from conferences are getting a little itchy. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, I'm not sure I like being where I want to be. I mean, this is this is very reflective of what happened back in the day when the Big East, you know, came spiraling apart. Um, and and that was a, a slow burn. Okay, and I know you you know you're with results to the um, uh, Big Twelve Conference. I mean. West Virginia, I know, is going to remember this. I mean, everybody was together until they weren't, okay? And that's what, you know, everybody sat around a table and, and sang Kumbaya and, you know, and we're good, don't worry about it. And, you know, one morning they woke up and they were gone. And um, that, uh, I will say this, and I hope that this does not lead to it, okay? There are incredibly bitter feelings between universities that were in the Big Ten, uh, I'm sorry, were in the uh, uh, Big East as well as the ACC. That, and that's years ago, okay, uh, over a decade ago. And I hope, because I know these fan bases of the PAC and of the, the Big 12 are passionate fan bases. I hope they don't get to a point of, of irreconcilable differences. That would be that would be bad not only for the universities, but would be bad for the fan bases, and it would be bad for for college sports. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's fascinating for sure. With the uh, the Pac-12 situation, uh -huh. um, let's uh, let's start there. Uh, how did they get to this point? Because they started their negotiations before the Big 12 even. The Big 12 uh -huh. has had a deal for a long time now, and the Pac-12 is still searching. How how did they get to this point of I guess, uh, no return of sorts of, of not having anything right now. Well, um, it was a series of unforced errors um, where you have, um, you have an expectation, right? And you go in, and my expectation, I, I'm not privy to the numbers, but I'm just going to use numbers just to, you know, uh, to illustrate the point, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. Let's say... George Klyakov and his folks decided, okay, our rights are worth $40 million, okay? And they had a meeting with uh, ESPN and Fox, and ESPN and Fox say, you know, look, we're not going above 31, 32, 33, pick a number, right? But it's lower than 40, okay? There's no way we're doing that. All right, fine. 
So Klyakov and the powers that be feel, all right, we're fine. They don't want to play with this at that number. I know we're going to be able to get some streaming money, and I know we're going to be able to, you know, they'll come back. You know, and if it's not them, we'll get somebody else, okay? So that's not an uncommon thing, okay, that part of it. What became, um, what became a problem for them was more on the public relations side, okay? Suddenly, they were, you know, Yermark went in, and here's the brilliance of what Yermark did, okay? It wasn't as much, you know, that he went in and made a deal, okay? It was that he set a number. He got in there, and he got, you know, for all intents and purposes, I believe the, the contract says something in the neighborhood of 31.7 or something. So we call it 32, whatever you want to do. Um, that number then became a number that theoretically, if the pack didn't beat that number, well, then they would have been valued as less than, you know, the pack, uh, the big twin. So, you know, so that put them in a bit of a box, okay? That meant to them and to their partners, um, members, I should say, no partners, that, um, all right, you know, the the big went in, you know, Big 12 went in and got their deal. Now, remember that the Big 12 deal was an extension, okay? Because Muramal right. couldn't have negotiated a new deal because the time wasn't up yet. So that was an extension. Extensions are much easier to do than starting from scratch in negotiations, okay? When you start from scratch, you know, literally, you are basically, you have to lay out what's tier one rights. And if you really can't, I mean, you can lay out tier two, tier three, but uh, really until you decide what tier one is, it really, it makes it difficult to, to define them. Add to that the fact that they were beginning the process of negotiating and talking with uh, Apple and Amazon. Okay, those are two people who this is a, this is a very very new space for them. You know, of course, we know that Amazon has Thursday Night Football, and uh, you know Apple has a baseball series on Friday nights, and they have the new soccer deal. So they've been dealing with professional sports. They have not entered the twilight zone that is college sports. And so, you know, that's going to be a slow roll. There's no question about it. So I guess what's going on here uh, is that for reasons and that I have no clue to, uh, this thing became more of a, all right, let's get to the press and let's talk to the press and see what we can do. Then you've got, you know, a number of different people um, going out and saying, let's use the Arizona president, for instance. You know, he said one thing, he said, we're near a deal. And then, you know, they weren't. And they, prior to the NCAA tournament, we're close. You know, it's a good deal. It's 50%, you know, uh, or more of, of linear. Um, you know, and then they backed off of it. So, so these are self-inflicted wounds, okay? You could have just said, look, guys, this is a process that takes months. And it took, in fairness, it took 11 months for the Big Ten contract to be done. Okay, so it's true, it takes time. But rather than going out and, and saying to the, you know, the public that, you know, 
we'll get there when we get there. You know, we have we have the time. We don't want to make a mistake, right? Would people have forgiven them or wanted to know more? No, but the narrative would have been easier to to continue with rather than yes, we're here, nope, we're not. Yes, we're here, no, we're not. You know, what does that even mean? I mean, if the if uh, the president of Arizona says, yeah, the deal is the deal, right? And we're, we're really close, and then he backs off of it. What's the deal? What's the holdup? You know, is it money? Is it too much streaming? Is What is it? Um, so I, I would say that what where the pack is right now is because of a series of self-inflicted wounds. Yeah, that makes total sense uh, for sure uh, where, where they stand. And so with that, we, we've heard these rumblings of everything from Apple to Amazon to the CW or ION or right. uh, possibly being involved here. One, one thing, when, when I talk to people in Pac-12 country, they say is like, hey, if we go to Apple or Amazon or even the CW, whatever it may be, all that is still better than the Pac-12 network uh, when it comes to availability and everything here. I mean, while the rest of us, and I get that to an extent, the rest of us sit here and say, man, that, that doesn't sound too great. Is, is the Pac-12 at a point where – pretty much anything is better than than where they're at right now well first of all i don't know necessarily where they're at right now in the negotiation but well i i mean where they're at in their no I, I get it i'm sorry you yeah. know, let me just re rephrase that the if if you're dealing with we'll do a hypothetical if you're dealing with apple all right and amazon at the same time, we know what Amazon wants. Amazon wants a game on a Friday night. That's it. They're not looking to to be the home of uh, the Pac-12. Okay. Now I wrote a piece going back to 2019. Okay, when Tim Cook launched Apple TV Plus, the same week they uh, they launched it. They went to San Francisco and met with uh, Larry Scott, who was then the you know the commissioner of the conference. Went all over the uh, the network, the Pac-12 network, and let it be known then. I mean, we're going back to 2019. Let it be known then they were interested in the whole package. Okay, so we fast forward. We know USC and UCLA is gone, and they're still interested in the package now. What does that mean or what could that mean? Um, if you use the template of the MLS, then in theory, what they could do is Apple, Apple could produce all the games using the Pac-12 network as a platform because, I mean, you've got all the equipment and all the, um, all the stuff you need right there at your, you know, literally uh, about a half an hour away from the Apple campus. So you could use that, and then you should sublicense, which is what they did in the MLS, sublicense a series of games to Fox, to who, excuse me, to whomever. Okay, so you don't necessarily. I mean, where are they now? I think that they're in that twilight zone, 
of we know we've got a streamer as a partner. We know that our, you know, some of our, our schools are not cool with that. How do we get to 50 or more? Okay, 50% or more. And that's where I think they are right now. I think that they've, they know what the dollars are relatively close, right? Uh, they don't know an exact figure, but they're what we call soft numbers. They've been exchanging paper and that whole routine. So I do believe they know, give or take, where they are. What they don't know, seemingly, because of what's going on here, is A, who their linear partner is, and B, who, you know, how many places can we go to, you know, to find that linear partner? And I know a lot has been made of the CW, you know, joking around. Uh, look, I can go back. When somebody says to me that, well, look, you know, the Gilmore Girls, by the way, the Gilmore Girls haven't been on CW for like eight years. But when I, I say to them, okay, fine, fine. What's on tonight on Fox? Probably like the Masked Singer or something like not, that. Yeah. Nine out of ten people can't tell me. Okay. Yeah. So my point is this. You know, the world wouldn't end if the CW was a partner. Okay? As long as the CW could give you what you wanted. I don't think that's going to happen because I don't think the CW is, could pony up that kind of money. Um, but I'm just saying that Let's say the Fox deal, like we just said with the MLS, right? Fox is paying, you know, a minimum amount. The the brunt of the bill is being paid for by, you know, by uh, Apple, and they're cool with that. So, if you could get a full Pac-12 package via Apple, and you could get your linear by doing a sub-licensing deal with a Fox or a CBS or someone, that might be, that might get them to what they, they need at this point. So I believe, frankly, that where they are right now is, we know we got a streaming partner, where can we find the sweet spot? And frankly, in doing these deals, I know people have said, well, we're out, we're in, you know, all that. Look, they're not, no one's ever out of a deal until the contract's signed. Right. So if you're surprised at the end of this that it turns out that that uh, the Pac-12 gets 31-7 from Fox and, and ESPN, don't be stunned. Yeah. Jim Williams of Forbes joining us here on the show support this week. Uh, Jim, uh, just real quick on the, you know, kind of how that MLS structures thing. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but um, the MLS with that deal with, with Fox involved, mm -hmm. They're producing in-house the Fox broadcast, right? And then Fox just throws their their own announcers um, on the broadcast, basically. Yeah, actually, Isn't that how it works? Uh, so if it was a similar thing here with, with Apple in the Pac-12 network, I imagine it'd be something similar to the effect uh, there of the, the same type of dynamic set up there? Yeah, as a matter of fact, with the MLS, the MLS wanted a deal where they did it themselves. Okay, uh, they wanted to produce all the all the games, and they do. They produce them all. They even produce the ones and air the ones with their announcers on Fox. Okay, so Fox doesn't even uh, have to send announcers to the games. Uh, they're also, as I said before, 
they're simultaneously those games that are on Fox are, st are streamed on Apple. So if you have the Apple package, you know you can either watch it on Apple or you can watch it on on Fox. It's the same broadcast crew. It's the same production. Um, what the theory of the case there was, they wanted they meaning the MLS wanted um, a network look for every game that they had very close to what the Premier League does in England. So they used that template. So the long story short is, yeah, Fox would be paying to produce these games. In theory, they would all be running through Apple, who would then sub-license sub the games, but produce them using the Pac-12 network. Interesting. Okay. Um, now theory. We'll see how it works. So. Right. We, uh, we saw the uh, New York Post report this week uh, that said, watch for Colorado here. And I know with Deion Sanders coming in, all the excitement that's with that program and everything, where they're going here. Um, what, do you, what do you make of the, the, the Colorado element in all this? Are they, or do, do you agree, are they the ones to kind of watch to potentially make the first jump of sorts? Well, certainly it's possible. I mean, from the standpoint of Colorado, Colorado of all of the Pac-12 teams, and this is, I'm being personal here, I believe they probably have a better fit than some of the others. And so would it surprise me? You know, I mean, Andrew Marchand was, you know, basically said people are selling me Colorado. Um, would it surprise me? No, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, look, Right now, I think the Big 12 is probably in a position that puts them right behind the SEC and the Big 10. And the rationale for that is because of stability and because they're in a position where they could absorb one or two or three or four more, you know, institutions on that side. Where I'm, where I would like to ask you a question, and perhaps you can help me on this one, okay. is if they go heavy west, and I'm not saying A, they are, or B, they should, it's up to, you know, right, your mark seems to be able to handle this really well, he doesn't need my, my uh, input. You keep you know, right now, West Virginia and U.S., you know, UCF hasn't been in the conference yet, but West Virginia is spending $2.5 million more than any other school in the conference for travel, okay? So if you cut a deal that puts you out there, and again, I'm not saying it's not a good idea, um, when do you go back to the East and make some additions because you know you can't put West Virginia and UCF on those islands where the closest game they play to home is a thousand miles away. Right, uh, and Cincinnati as well uh, yeah. mm -hmm. out there. Yeah, it's a very good point, and I think that's also Jim where the idea we've heard of the rumblings of. Brett Yormark's interest in going east for basketball potentially come into play. Maybe that's where you satisfy that element is bringing some of uh, West Virginia's old, you know, Big East friends uh, along for the ride at some point. Well, yeah, I mean, 
I think that, as I said, we started this off with, you know, it's, we're at an inflection point. Um, where we are now, uh, I would say, if I were if I were hoping, I would think that the Pac-12 stays intact for the contract. Okay, five or it's maybe six seven years. Okay, because by that time, a couple of things will be settled. One, we'll see how this drama in the ACC plays, because that could very well have, uh, you know, a, a an effect on what happens. Right, I mean. If they if they decide to go the nuclear option and have eight teams in the uh, you know in the ACC void the conference, um, that could leave a lot of free agents there that would be very uh, uh, to your point would be very interesting uh, in the Big Twelve. So I, I don't know that rushing things along and, and and bringing people on at this time makes a great deal of sense if you can just hold off and see where. The landscape goes because I'll tell you what. Let's let's game that out for just a second. What if Notre Dame decides at the end, and I'm I'm not thinking that they will, but you never know. What if Notre Dame decides, okay, tell you what, um, I'm not going to get the money NBC promised me, or promised that they would try to get me. Um, so let's. Oh, fine. We'll go to the Big Ten. If Notre Dame goes to the Big Ten, trust me, <laughs> that uh, that Western strategy. Uh, of adding teams goes out the window because they're not going to put Notre Dame in there and then add all those teams. That's just not going to happen. They right. would add one, maybe two. Um, so, so I think a lot of this goes to: Are we going to see? You know, is Colorado going to move? It's quite possible they could. Okay. It also could be quite possible that they're saber rattling to get something from the, um, you know, from the Pac-12 or just you know rumors and all that sort of thing right. so i kind of like say all right fine is it could it be yeah sure it could be it could be arizona you know it could be utah i don't know but right. the point is who it really doesn't matter who jumps first it's the fact that if they jump right because right. if they jump well then you know is that going to cause a domino effect or you know are you just going to say okay fine you know we'll just add san diego state in place of of Colorado right so at this point whether or not Colorado jumps it or Arizona jumps or any of them jump um, the most important part is not necessarily they jumped it's who or if others decide to make that jump but yeah. as I said before to me regardless of what happens here regardless of what happens here if they'd add all four of them if they had none of them the Pac-12 issues aside, the Big 12 probably hasn't been this healthy in a number of years because you, you've got stability, you've got people, and this is the most important thing, you've got people in the conference who want to be in the conference. They're not looking other places. You know, they're not wondering if they're going to go to the SEC. They're not wondering if they're going to go, you know, to the Big Ten. They're very happy being where they are and that's why i said if you go you know i would rank them right now behind the sec and behind the big 10 because a the stability and b right now there's there's they've got some teams that can 
you know, as we saw last year, that can compete on the national level for titles in any sport. Right. So what, what more do you want? I mean, if, you know, I have friends in both conferences and, you know, if, if you would have said six or eight months ago, would you take this where we are today? They would have rushed to it and done it in a heartbeat. Yeah. So we're now in that area where, oh, okay, not only are we healthy, maybe just maybe we may pick up some more. Right. But my point very simply is if, if nothing happens, A, you're still in good shape and B, you, by the time three, four, five years down the road, when contracts start to fall out again, you'll have a better idea of what the value of the conference is worth. Yeah. Because we need that time to set a market rate, right? Because right now, you know, we don't know what's going to happen uh, with with sports television dollars. And to get a little bit um, ahead of the game, to kind of look at that from 40,000 feet rather than look at it from, you know, is Colorado coming tomorrow? Um, you really need to do that. And I think that's, um, that's well, where a guy like a Brett Yearmark is smart enough to say, okay, if they want to come, sure, we'll add them and we'll worry about that other part later. Well, I think about this too, Jim, uh, of that next three, five-year stretch, whatever. We've heard the talk that, you know, Brett Yormark is interested in a basketball-specific contract, uh, a TV deal uh, in that regard. Mm -hmm. um, and we know how good Big 12 basketball's been the last several years. And you bring in Houston, who's been a powerhouse the last few years as well. Big right. Monday's been huge for the brand over the last, sure. you know, decade or so. Mm -hmm. If you can really continue to build that brand of Big 12 basketball as the best conference in America. Um, and if they try to sell off that as a TV package, I, I'd be very curious if, if how much extra money they can get if that as a standalone deal separate from the football contract. Well, to your point, okay, um, the NCAA is basically, um, right as we speak, pondering how they can split the um, the men's national tournament and the women's national tournament because the women's national tournament this year had the highest ratings they've ever had. Right. And so to your point about the basketball aspect, basketball's always been undervalued. I don't understand why, but it has. And, you know, I know football is king and that's true, but basketball is not that far behind. And, um, you know, the other part of that equation is you got way more, you know, basketball teams than you have football teams uh, on a national level. So, so yeah, I think that we're very close to, if the NCAA can figure out a way to split them apart, then Brett's, com you know, the comments you just made about Brett making that basketball only deal makes a lot of sense. And so I, I think that that's certainly something that, um, uh, the upsell in five years or six years or whatever the contracts come up, I think that uh, splitting the two, A, makes a lot of sense, and B, you know, if you're in the Big 12, you're you're sitting in the catbird seat on that one. Yeah, for sure. Last question, we'll end on this. Uh, one, one thing I do find interesting that uh, you mentioned about things repeating themselves is the whole idea of uh, whether it's equal revenue or unequal revenue distribution – uh -huh. And 
we heard from the ACC, you know, Florida State's unhappy. They feel like they're worth more than some of those teams in that league. Right. And then you see, you know, in the Pac-12 case, everybody was making the same in USC leaves. But then you, you you compare back to the when the Big 12 lost some teams and, you know, Texas was making more than everybody else and other teams left here. I mean, that, that to me, as far as time repeating itself here, we, we've seen, Jim, it looks like, where yeah. teams have left because of equal revenue distribution and teams uh, are considering or have left uh, because of equal revenue di- distribution. There's no uh, perfect solution, it would seem. No, and and to be honest, um, I don't know that any conference should be paying you know one or two teams more than the other. Um, I mean, because that that you're never going to have a happy camper in that situation. Um, you're, you're just basically funding. Uh, I mean, and look, Texas and Oklahoma haven't exactly been burning up the the Big Twelve the past few years, right? Uh, more Oklahoma than Texas, but still, um, the competition has still been very strong. You know, I, I've never thought that unequal revenue sharing is a good is a good plan it just it just doesn't work and um i think what we're getting away from and, and i think this is something we talked about this uh, a little earlier uh is that the regionality of college sports has always been the charm of it and you know i'm sure i can't be wait can't wait to get over to college park for to watch you know the new rivals you at UCLA and Maryland play each other. Nice. Um, so, so you lose that charm of that. And you, you then have that kind of situation where games mean less to fans because I'm watching a team, I'm watching Penn state play, you know, USC top brands. Absolutely. Okay. If I'm a Penn state fan, am I excited about that? Would I rather be playing someone who, you know, is closer to home who I hate, like Pitt or something like that? So you lose that, 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 um, you know, those battles. But what you've done in the, uh, done, done well in the Big 12 is you've d- done a very good job of keeping this, you know, in a relatively regional situation. And, and I think that more than anything. Is one of the things that makes the uh, the conference stable. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, you look at you know the the Big Twelve is the new Big Twelve. Everyone's going to get the same. You know, we we've seen you know eventually, yes, eventually, right, eventually. Um, the Pac twelve talk of the unequal rev share stuff like that. I mean, if you're going to come to the Big Twelve, this is what you're getting. You know, I mean, it's right. kind of how it's going to be. So, well, and, and to your point about the. Um, you know, the unequal revenue, as I said before, you automatically put yourself in a position where people are not comfortable with that. Other schools right. are comfortable. It's like, why am I paying, you know, them? Because, you know, they were the loudest yeller. And by the way, who knows if FSU and Clemson could get in the SEC. Right. So, you know, it's it's just like Washington and Oregon. We, you know, could they get in the Big Ten? Sure, they could. But I don't think, you know, the first day on the job, Tony Petit, you know, um, first phone call is to Washington or Oregon. Right. 
you know, I don't think that's going to happen. And I think, you know, right off the bat. But, um, yeah, I mean, closing on your point about Colorado, they could. They certainly could. Um, any one of these universities, any of them, uh, if they don't feel that they're comfortable uh, in what's going on with the Pac-12, they know they have a, a landing spot in in the Big uh, in the Big Twelve, uh, with the exceptions, of course, of um, Washington State and Oregon State. Right, and, and of note too, the uh, grant to rights in the Pac-12 is uh, is up, and mm -hmm. uh, so the exit fee is not there either. If you're going to move, no, if, that would move. be that would be one of the things that um, I look for if I'm on you know if I'm in the Big Twelve looking for what what's going on. Um, once you get the deal in front of you, it depends. You may have to, I don't know if they're going to go. Some places you have to sign the grant of rights before the TV deal. Yeah. Other places you sign it afterwards. Okay. I got to believe that uh, the folks in Pac-12, um, if you're going to leave, now's the time. Right. Don't, you don't even have to go to the grant of rights. You don't have to even see what the deal is. You know, it's, if this is when you want to go, now would be the time. Yeah. I think so. Jim, uh, before we go, where can people uh, follow you and uh, see the work you're doing? Man? Well, um, you can follow me on Twitter on JW Media DC. Uh, Forbes columns come out, you know, usually once a week unless my editor gets a little screwed up. But uh, that works. And, uh, I, you know, as I say, I'm, I'm on Twitter all the time. And if you will have a question or want to engage in some fun chat, we can do that too. And then uh, we'll, we'll check that out. And plus, um, I have a podcast called Stream On with Jim Williams, and it's you can get it it's, as they say, we're all podcasts are you get your podcasts, Apple, any other places. So. Awesome stuff, Jim. Thanks for the time. It's a pleasure having you on. We'll uh, talk again down the line. Thanks for joining us, man. Look forward to it. Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can find O'Connor Advisory Group online, oagcast.com, o'connoradvisorygroup.com. And also check out the Coach Bo Knows podcast out each and every week, wherever you listen to podcasts. And Coach Bo, Brian O'Connor, joins us right now. Bo, how are we doing? Hey, we're doing great. This has been a great week. And uh, I get to take off a little bit early this week because I'm going to travel to Houston this weekend. So I'll uh, be enjoying my time and it's been a good week. I get to see you this weekend, right? I maybe I will know tomorrow. Mm, okay. We're recording this. I'll know tomorrow if we're if I'm going to stop by or yet. I'm okay. not. I'm thinking so. I don't know what day I'm coming back yet. Okay. All right. Yeah. We'll, my weekend might extend a day or so. Okay. Awesome stuff. Well, uh, we'd be glad to have you here uh, this yeah, week. It depends on if local legend is coming with me or not. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if the local legend comes with me, we have to get back by a certain time. If not, I got extra time. Because what he's got to get home to watch like AEW or something. No, he's got like he's got ball games. He's umpiring now. Baseball season started, so he's umpiring like every night. Oh, he's doing okay. high school games and all sorts of stuff. So okay, local yeah. legend. He's one of a kind. Yeah, he money. Yep. Hey, I don't know if you heard on my podcast on the Coach Bono's podcast this past week. He did a NBA preview with me. He was good. I mean, it was one of our best podcasts. He's after what I've seen the last forty-eight hours. He he hit the shit out of these things. Well, so, and, yeah. and if you haven't heard from P Money, uh, and I, I've I can't believe I've known that kid a long time now. Uh, yeah, and I gotta tell you, you know, if you he 
He's a very smart, funny kid. Uh, and I call him a kid. He's, he's gosh, close to 21 years old now or something. Yeah, he's almost 21. Uh, yeah. Uh, but basically, to give a nutshell for folks at home that don't know P-Money, it's, it's like the younger version of Coach O. He is, uh, yeah, he, he's a basketball savant, though. Like, I, I know, I but know, he sounds I, like Coach O. Yeah. Yes. He kind of grumbles a little bit. And he, yeah, he, the funniest thing about him, though, is like, you know, I've been a football coach all these years. And I've also coached some baseball. Those are my two sports that I know really, really well. I can watch certain team sports like hockey and like basketball, and a lot of the concepts are the same. But he sees shit in basketball that I can't see. Which to me is really cool. Like you coach something enough times, you can see kind of between the lines of what's going on in the field and whatnot. You know, as much time as you spend around teams and games, you can see that too. Man, he he's picked up stuff, and at twenty years old, he he could be like an assistant basketball coach at a really high level right now. Yeah, yeah. And he's, but he wants to be a he wants to be an official at a high level, which is really cool because we're all everyone's short and good officials. Right. So he he's he's enjoying that, doing well, getting ready to call some college games soon too. Okay. May one day turn into a rules analyst, you know, be the next Mike Pereira or something, you know. <laughs> I think it's more likely he becomes a major league umpire. <laughs> I would not be surprised if he became a major league umpire at all. That'd be great. Uh I'd be yeah. excited for him. Uh we'll we'll move on. Not to the corn too much, let it get to his head, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and he wants you to come to Lawrence for his twenty first birthday. Me? We can okay. talk about yes, we can talk about that off the air. Oh, yeah, we can figure something out. Um, I took the kid to Hooters when he was 17, so that, uh, fitting I come back for his 21st, you know. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want Tom going. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a it's a cycle. I think I I think I corrupted Jones and then you know and Jones, corrupt Jones corrupts it's a cycle. <laughs> I think that and I, God knows I love you, Tom. You're my you're my boy, but man, I don't know if I need you around Peyton. I, I think that <laughs> really hard for some things. Let's oh, just say the young man's impressionable. Yes. Oh, we'd have a good time, especially if he sounds oh. I, I mean, if he sounds like Coach O, maybe we'll get a maybe we'll get a college cheerleader in bed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, instead of uh, that or that or we'll get We'll get some old lady that's about your age, Bo. Instead of tigers, we'll say go cougars, go cougars, go cougars. This is already going to be a fun segment. Uh, oh man! All right, hey, let's let's start with uh, Odell Beckham Jr. He is speaking of tigers. Speaking of tigers, speaking of tigers. go tigers! He's yeah. going to the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, maybe, maybe that's that's a very key point. I think you and I are going to the same dollars. place. Here. $15 million uh, is the amount that he's guaranteed. $3 million in incentives that are still possible. But mm-hmm. let's lay this out there in case folks at home don't know. Remember with this, at the time of this taping, he hasn't signed yet. He's agreed to the deal. On the deal. He has not signed a contract. He yet. hasn't signed yet. He and has not even signed an offer sheet on this yet. There's not even like the frameworks of a pre-contract agreement completed yet. Right. It's just a verbal agreement between the two sides, which I think this is where you're going with this. Yes. Let me let me let me Let's add go this. Go ahead. I'll let you, your show. You go ahead. 
Let me add this too. So, um, by the league bylaws, you cannot officially sign on the dotted line until the money's cleared out. Ravens don't have the money right now at the moment at where cap space is at. So that's one factor. You got to make your money work for you. Uh, they, you know, Bo knows all about that. Um, so you got that situation. And then you have the Lamar elephant in the room where Lamar did the recruiting, but Lamar is in his own contract situation himself here. So with that being said, Bo, with where we stand right now, um, how does this all play out? What What is your ultimate guess of uh, when we see OBJ officially become a Raven and uh, what this means for Lamar? I think there's a little bit of handcuffs here. I think it's OBJ becomes a Raven the day that Lamar Jackson gets a new contract or signs or signs the franchise 10. I agree. Uh, yeah, I think it's just one of those two things. And I think that obviously they've talked. I mean, why would you consider even consider going there if you're if you're Odell Beckham, unless they offered you more money than everybody else? I, I've said for a couple of weeks. I've said it here. Which, said it I think podcast. they actually did. I think they probably did it too. But I think what we're going to see is we're going to see Odell Beckham turn into. I, I kind of compared it to Deion Sanders and Darrell Revis. He is going to be the hired gun for the next few years. He's not getting more than a one- or two-year deal the rest of his career. Nor does he really have to at this point. If he can just keep proving that he's a great wide receiver, he's going to keep getting money. And he's going to keep getting big paychecks, and he's put away a lot of his money. He's made an incredible amount already. You know, I just see him jumping from team to team for the best need at the time, whoever's going to pay him a paycheck. And we've seen that already with, again, the two examples I could think of was, first it was Dion, and then after that, Darrell Rivas did it for like four or five years, where he just, one-year deal, one-year deal, one-year deal, you know, so that he never got caught up in the whole franchise tag, because he once he was done with that initial contract, he never had to. I see the same thing happening with Odell Beckham here. Well, and because there's no team going to get him, book him into a four- or five-year deal now. Right. Too old. He's had injury issues. It's just not going to happen. And, and I think about this, too. People that are wondering uh, about this whole offer sheet agreement and what they may be saying to themselves, why aren't the Ravens moving heaven and earth to get the pin on the dotted line right now? Well, in OBJ's case, you know, he, he can't go to any of the offseason programs or anything like that until the deal's done. If you're OBJ, though, I don't, I don't care to be at the offseason program. No. I don't need to be there till Lamar is there, and then we can get things exactly. going here. There is uh if you're OBJ, there there's really no sense of urgency. You got all the time in the world to get this figured out. Yeah. Yeah. Until Lamar Jackson's in the building, backup doesn't have to be in the building. Right. It's pointless. With that said, you're looking at the Ravens and Rashad Bateman's coming back from injury. Obviously, you got Mark Andrews, Isaiah Likely, Charlie Cohart, the tight end spot. But this is a team that was desperate for help at the receiver position. What does OBJ do for this team uh, in their receiving core? And do you think that they're going to look at more receivers, whether it be the draft or maybe some uh, guys in free agency here? Well, I think that it gives them a one, a true number one option. Um, whether he's injured you know the way he, even when he was 
with the Rams a couple seasons ago, he was still – the only reason he wasn't the number one guy is that you got Cooper Cup there who was the best receiver in football that year. Um, give us the Ravens' number one receiver. I do think the Ravens should keep looking because you got to get young. Beckham's not going to be there forever. And they need a couple possession guys, like good possession guys. What they've got right now, they don't even have real athletes. They just have – and I say that in, in you know, kind of just a way, or, in a way of – not elite level at the receiver position. And they're all great here in the NFL. You're a great athlete. Um, but these guys are not top level, dependable. We're going to be in a playoff race with these guys and they can make plays. You get a playmaker in Odell Beckham. They probably could use someone to stretch the field and they could probably use a possession guy, a big guy who yeah. can be your, your tight end, like a, like a, like a Kelsey kind of thing. It's just, Give me five yards and get open, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, yeah, I mean, so I, I think that the Ravens, but no one's gonna go sign with the Ravens outside of this Beckham thing until they know what's going on at the quarterback position. Because why would you trust the situation? Why would you trust to go in there and say, well, I, even if it's a prove it kind of thing? Why? How can you prove it if you don't know who the quarterback is throwing you the ball? Yeah. And the other piece to the Ravens on Lamar on this is how do the guys in the locker room now feel? Because you got to think they're mostly Team Lamar. If they're willing to do all this to Lamar, what are they willing to do to them? Yeah. One thing I wonder too. So they have a new offense coordinator in Todd Munkin, uh, who won two national titles there with Georgia, was in the NFL a long time was also an OC at Oklahoma State for a while, for, for a hot minute as well. Um, it's no secret that Todd wants to throw the football more. You add in OBJ, Rashad Bateman's healthy. I forgot to mention you got Nelson Aguilar now, too, uh, who they brought in from New England. Um, how different is this offense going to look? Let's assume Lamar is back. Do you think this, this Ravens team is going to stop Letting Lamar get out, get out of the pocket, kind of keep him in the pocket more, and throw the football downfield with this new receiving core. I think you'd argue this season, let him do whatever he wants until you sign him to a long-term contract. Why does it matter? I mean, if he gets hurt, hurt, and you're not, you've only got him on a franchise tag. It doesn't make any difference. You get that extension on him, you're going to have to start throwing the ball, keeping him in the pocket, yeah, and say, hey. I understand that sometimes, sometimes he's got to learn. Oh, he doesn't have to, but what they're going to tell him is sometimes taking a, a win is, is is better than taking a loss. I mean, just you know, go to the next play. When yeah. Lamar's not really willing to do that a lot of times, and I like that about Lamar. But again, when you're going to give you give him an extension, when you're giving him that much money, he's going to have to tone it down a little bit. All right. Um, staying in the DMV there, uh, Jeff Bezos not going to place a bid on the Washington Commanders. What's going on there? Uh, I thought that there was uh, some interest there. Is he holding out potentially, you think, to buy the uh, the Seahawks in a couple of years? I don't know. I, I Maybe he doesn't want the competition because there is a couple of different groups and they're looking to buy him. The other piece is I wonder what Bezos – because he is so involved with the Amazon, obviously he's one of the Amazon's biggest shareholders and he's a former CEO and the founder. Um, can he own a team 
since Amazon has a relationship with the NFL. Is there is well, there any that was talked about? There? That was one thing that, that that was brought up, and it sounds like it's the NFL gave him the clearance that if he wants to bid, he could still bid on a team. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's smart. He's one of the richest men in the world. He's recognizable. You know, you you've already got Amazon as a partner in the in the league. You know, I would want him as an owner in the league. I think that makes a ton of sense and is a great fit. You know, you know more about the in and outs of what may happen like with Seattle down in the future, and, and maybe that's what he's thinking, but maybe it's just not right for Bezos this time. I don't know. There's been a lot of conjecture whether he's really in or out or what, and sometimes maybe you don't want to spend $8 billion. Yeah, I feel like the commanders thing is interesting because I know that they're, you know, as a franchise, all these NFL franchises that get bought are going to be expensive and the highest paid uh, franchises in any sport. But even then, I felt like, Bo, that anyone that buys the commanders right now with the scandals and everything that's gone on with that team in the last couple of years and with just how, how shitty they've been as a football team, that yeah. – you are buying them basically at the lowest point you can for a professional franchise of their history and in their market and everything. To me, I feel like there's a ton of potential for that franchise. Um, even though it might be six, seven billion dollars, I still feel like you're buying low at this point compared to what their potential would be. And and also you talk about think about the commanders of, you know, that that's been their identity for what a year or two, but if you want to, you could go in and rebrand the thing and put your own image, how you envision that franchise and, and do that over again. As far as I'm concerned, it, it feels like quite the blank canvas you could take over there in, in Washington with a lot of potential. Yeah. And that may be why part of the cost is so high. I mean, if we're looking at, I think it's, it's 6 billion is the number I think I heard they're looking yeah. at here. Um, you know, look, you got to think of it. You're in the D.C. market, one of the biggest markets there is. But you're also that whole area. You've got – I love your idea of come in and rebrand. I mean, let me get through the racial slur. I mean, they were the racial slurs for, right. you know, two generations. And then – They are um, Yeah, and then the commanders. And The football I don't team the, first. The football team, then the commanders. Yeah, why not make them – you know, something related to what DC and that market is. Um, you know, the commanders, I guess, isn't bad. I mean, I was also voted on by some people there. But yeah, I mean, if you're the new owner, you're paying that much. And given the situation, the newness of it all, yeah, it's pretty easy to make another change on that. You're also going to get a new stadium at some point. You know, the NFL will not get a new stadium for the Washington team, for the commanders as long as Daniel Snyder's the owner. They just will not lend him the money. They don't want him involved in it. But if you come in as a new owner, you're going to get a new stadium. You're going to get a first-class, you know, first-class state-of-the-art right. stadium. Change the team name. Get a big sponsor for the damn building. There's so much that you could do that it is a blank. I've been using the word right. A blank canvas is really well put. It's like and I think it could be. It's like buying an expansion someone. team, uh, in DC, essentially. Well, yes and no. I mean, you're 
you're buying all the history of that team, which hasn't been great the last what 15 years or so, 20 years maybe. Right. But you are buying a lot. You're you're already buying a fan base. There's a big fan yeah. base for them in that area. You know, you get an expansion oh, team. They're they have a national fan base too. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, so I, I I think that it's I don't know if it's exactly like buying a an expansion team because you don't have to prove it. You just got to go out there and do it, and right. there's a little difference there. I, dude, if I had the money, if I had Jeff Bezos's money, going back to Bezos, I would totally do it. Right. But I can't speak for anyone else and what they do with their money. I can only do it. I can do it my money. Well, and, and as expensive as it sounds. Uh, there's no reason why that value won't go up several years. You can yeah. make that money well, back. That's the other thing is that the the money's baked into the recipe already. You've got a humongous TV deal with a new stadium that you're not going to have to finance, frankly. You're going to make a shit ton of money there. Plus, everything that else goes with an NFL team. These NFL teams are, are making money hand over fist. And it's just it's money-making machines. Yeah, I mean, you're even if you spend six billion dollars on this team in ten years, you'll have made it back. Yeah. Plus, the equity of your team is going to double. Right. Yeah, it's a great point. Um, let's uh, stay within that division and uh, the New York Football Giants. Saquon Barkley says uh, he won't sign his tag before the Giants' offseason programs, so uh, he won't be there right away. Saquon obviously wants a new contract. Bo, is he going to get that contract? I don't think he will just because of he's a running back. Yeah. And I just like, – I like Sa- – and Saquon Barkley's been really good these last two seasons since he got over his injury. Um, I think he's one of the top – I think the top five running back in the league. The issue is it's running back. It's yeah. not a quarterback – the Giants played this perfect, and even though you pick, a lot of people will think that they've paid too much for their quarterback, that's the cost of doing business, and you could franchise your running back for a lot less money. So I think that in this case, it made a sense. Saquon wants more money, don't we all? Right. So I think it's, yeah, he's, he's saying, well, I'm not coming to this until I get this. But it's posturing. In the end, he'll be there. He's going to get his, I like, guess, nine or a, it's one million off of ten. So either nine or eleven. Forgive me if I don't remember off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, but I, I well, I want to say it's nine, but it could be eleven. Okay. He's going to get his money. He's going to play it out. They'll maybe work out a deal. But what kind of deal can you give a running back? It's not the knock on the guy or, or even the how well he plays. It's just the position. You don't commit to that position for lots of years and lots of money. And you look at the other guys. They all were pretty much in the same boat. Um, you know, Josh Jacobs is, uh, you know, he's not getting that long-term deal from the Raiders. And there's some trade talks about him going around and him not being happy, especially how they handled that Darren Waller situation. Um, you know, Tony yeah. Pollard, he got tagged in Dallas. Uh, running backs just aren't getting those second contracts uh, right no. anymore. No, it's a different, it's a different breed of cat. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine, I remember this a couple of years ago, who has a son who was a, a big recruit. A high, uh, he was a high school player, a big college recruit. And 
he was saying that he wanted his son to go play basketball instead of instead of uh, football because his son was a running back. And I recall having the conversation with him saying, well, if he's just as good at basketball, go play basketball because there's not long-term money in being a running back. And I was like, if you're, if you're kidding, this, this particular kid is shorter. And I was like, look, you knew your kid was going to be short. He's like, I'd be one of two things, a running back or, or a corner. <laughs> like, make up a corner. <laughs> well, you can do right. it at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty good point. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it is too bad because I'm, I'm a Saquon Barkley guy. I like him. I like him a lot. And I'm really happy for him because he had a lot of injury issues for, for two seasons. And the last two seasons after that, those injuries, he's played fantastic. Right. Yeah. I, if this were the old days, if, if even 10 years ago, he'd be getting paid right now. But yeah. the last guy for that was Adrian Peterson. That's done. Well, and not, the even Giants, Derek, not even Derrick Henry gets that money. He's the best running back in the league. The Giants are an interesting predicament because it feels like they're in win now mode. But then aren't we all kind of sitting here and saying to ourselves, didn't everything go right for the Giants? Daniel Jones played just good enough. The defense, all those things there. They might be in win now mode, but I think it's going to be hard. I'm not calling it a fluke. But I think it's going to be hard for them to replicate exactly what went right for them this past year again. I think that they're going to be a good team. I think that they're in a, a division. The, the problem they have is in the division. Yeah. Is you, Cowboys are good. The Eagles are the Eagles. That Giants team was good last year. And they were a drastic improvement without adding pieces. And Daniel Jones was in, what, year four last year? Yeah. The light switch came on which is about right. So they made the commitment. Obviously, Brian Dable feels comfortable who he's got a quarterback. And if you feel like you're in the quarterback window, go for it. Uh, draft coming up in uh, two weeks from today, actually, when the show gets uh, released here. Bo, uh, I feel like that the draft, we know that it's going to be Young or Stroud, one, two, just depends on who's going to go one. The other will go – one will go to Carolina, one one will go to Houston. I don't think anybody's uh, surprised by that. feels like the draft doesn't really begin till three with that Arizona pick. And whether it's Arizona goes Will Anderson or if they trade that pick and somebody else moves up to take Anthony Richardson or Will Levis, that to me is when I feel like this draft really is going to start – you know, turning some heads depending on what Arizona does, whether they trade out of the pick or not. Yeah, I think that you're right on that. We, I saw one of, I don't think it was Kuiper. It might have been Kuiper who has quarterbacks going one through four. Yeah. And I don't know that those four quarterbacks are worthy of being the top four. I'm interested to see who goes one, who goes two between the top. And now, people, you know, now the favorite is Stroud. And I think that he's the safest of the two picks between him and Young. Um, but then you get the three. And you know those first two are those first two. No one taking over that. Get the three. Does someone trade in there for a Will Anderson or um, Georgia's defensive end? Um, Carter. Oh, Jalen Carter, yeah. Yeah, Jalen Carter. I mean, because he could go – I could see him going three. Who is sitting three right now? Arizona is sitting three right now. Arizona, like, and they don't need a quarterback, so they're in a they're in the enviable position of 
you're the third pick. You don't need a quarterback, so you don't have to overspend. They could, they might get something huge out of somebody here. They might get three ones from somebody out of this and start stockpiling people. Personally, I'm not in the building, so I can't say that I am convinced Kyler Murray is the guy because, frankly, I'm not. But they already paid. I'm not willing to, I can't. They've already paid him. He's on the books. So it is what it is now. So you're stuck with it. And so I think that you got to look at this and go, okay, well, what can we do? What's the best? Who's the best player? Acknowledge that first. Who's the best player we can get here? And then what do we think we can get in return? Can someone give us another a pick to move up to take one of those two quarterbacks, whether it's Levis or Richardson? And I someone's going to, I think. I do think it's going to happen. Someone's going to overpay for one of them on draft day. I think so. And if you're Arizona, that team is so depleted, that roster, they need all the help they can get. Yeah, you don't get anything out of getting Anderson or Carter right now. Not that they're not worth it. They're great pieces. But look at a situation a couple of years ago, the Browns got Miles Garrett, who is an incredible player. But you can't build a franchise on a defensive lineman. No matter how good that player is, Miles Garrett's incredible. Doesn't matter how good that guy is if you ain't got a quarterback. Wasn't that the Baker Mayfield draft? Or not the Baker Mayfield? No, no, no. The uh, Patrick Mahomes draft? Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, let me ask you this Who would you take at one? I would take Bryce Young. Okay. I think Bryce Young's a good, I think either of them are good choices. I think it does come down to if you take Rice, you're willing to overlook the size deal, and you're looking at the upside. He's got more upside, I think, than CJ. So here's the difference for me between Young and Stroud. Um, you look at what Bryce Young did. You know, Heisman Trophy winner. You know, won a lot of big games in this past year. The two games they lost, LSU and Tennessee. They were in those games because of Bryce Young, because yeah, he put those teams the teams in position to be there to even have a chance. His team didn't. Bryce Young, the reason they beat Texas. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He was the reason why. Comparatively speaking, I look at C.J. Stroud and this year against Michigan and last year against Michigan. Both, I could argue the reason why they lost was because of C.J. Stroud that he choked and. The biggest moments. Now, granted, he played great against Georgia in that playoff game. They lost, but he did play well in that moment. But I look at Bryce Young. That's a guy that's ready for the moment that can step up in crunch time. I can't say the same about C.J. Stroud. Granted, they're both young quarterbacks, but that's what I like better about Young compared to Stroud. Again, I think it all comes down to what you need. The biggest thing on C.J. Stroud, he's not a running quarterback. No, not at all. And I've never – how safe am I in here, Jonesy? <laughs> Go for it. I know what you're about Come to say. say it. Oh, yeah, we know it. We know it. We know it. All right, look, have you ever heard of a black quarterback who's not thought to be a runner? Jamarcus Russell. Warren Moon. Warren Moon is the only one I can – oh, great call. Jamarcus Tom. Russell. Well, he's not – even an LSU guy like me knows that Jamarcus Russell wasn't that. Um, but, no, I mean, you look at it. He's not considered as athletic as the others. Right. But C.J. Stroud's bigger. He's built. 
He's got a better arm. You know what you got with C.J. Stroud. The only knock, the only reason that you take Bryce Young over C.J. Stroud is that he's got a higher potential ability. There's just a higher degree of, I mean, look at it this way. C.J. Stroud is, I want to make sure I paint this right, a more athletic Matt Ryan, Phillip Rivers type of player. I think he's Dak 2.0. No, no, because Dak could run. Dak could run the read option. C.J. Stroud ain't running the read option at any point. I think you look, I think I think a great comparable for C.J. Stroud is Phillip Rivers. Okay. Which is, hey, look, that's a franchise quarterback. He may not have won a Super Bowl, but that guy how was many, top How many kids is he going to have? Generation. What's that time? Was, how, how many kids is he going to have? Yeah. Phillip was good enough to win a Super Bowl. He wasn't why they didn't win one. Yeah, but you look at Bryce Young and you think, okay, he's smaller, he's more athletic, and he's got grit. I mean, and he also understands the game. I I heard it again today from somebody that they're saying Bryce Young, if he wasn't a talent, would be an offensive coordinator today. Yeah, at places. Um, man, I don't even know a comparable to that. It's like you took Drew Brees, but you made him more athletic. Right. And <laughs> that's, I mean, look, what do you want? You want Drew Brees is more athletic or you want Phillip Rivers? It's just whatever your brand of vodka is here, pal, because whatever your offense requires. Now, the one that I would look at, I and I just can't get over, Anthony Richardson. I can't uh, get over how bad of a passer he is. I'm telling you, I think Anthony, I think you know who who Anthony Richardson could be. I'm gonna get crushed for this. <laughs> oh no! Who? Mahomes. Yeah, he could be that good. I'm not saying he will be. I'm not saying he will be. I don't know, but he's athletic. He's got a fucking cannon, and the guy. He's not, but. How accurate is Mahomes? Let's be honest. He ain't that fucking accurate. He's got a big arm. There's a He's difference. not throwing the football at the ceiling in his pro day. Yeah. Hey, he's going. He's trying to show how far he can throw the damn thing. I'm telling you, I if I had to if I could get away with one without having to worry about any other consideration and I had a blank canvas, I'll take Fritchers. Now, if I'm sitting there and I'm he is the least accurate quarterback I've ever seen as far as being a first-round talent, including Tim Tebow. Okay. Huh. Who was it that also got put in that same boat until three years ago? Anthony Richardson is it's the same knock that was on Josh Allen. And now granted, Josh Allen had people, still a much better completion percentage in college than Richardson. But the, the knock was, was always that yeah, he also Richardson played at Wyoming. Fifty-three in the SEC. Yeah, but in the SEC, I've seen Anthony Richardson make plays that none of these guys can make in the SEC. I, 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 if I had to take one, I would take you now. Again, I'm looking at the top two now. Carolina to me screams Bryce Young. Right. Houston screams C.J. Stroud. I think C.J. Stroud's a perfect fit there. Okay. Now, where I'd be looking if I was looking for Richardson, be looking at four. 
If I was the Colts, I don't want anybody moving into three. I'd have a standing offer to the Cardinals saying, if you get offered, whatever your best offer is, call us. We're not letting anybody take him in front of this. I'd also, if I was Detroit at six, I'd look at him. If I was Atlanta at eight, I'd look at him. If I was the Raiders at seven, I'd look at him. He's not getting out of the top ten. I don't think so either. And I'll say this. I think he goes before Levis. I think so too. Yeah, I think Levis well, is the one that's fallen down. I what think was the weird, what was the weird thing about three. Levis? Levis puts mayonnaise in his coffee. Is and that, he, was that the weird thing? Unpeeled and he eats bananas with the peel. With the yeah. peel. Yeah, he's dropping out of my top 15 for that. That's a Anybody weird thing. put mayonnaise in coffee. I just don't respect that's that. A, I, that's a serial I, killer. I'll say this. <laughs> I'm not a fan of Levis. I think he's Blaine Gabbert 2.0. He's going to go to the Raiders. He'll be the next one that goes to jail from the Raiders. No, I think the Raiders could be where Will Levis lands. I think if you get Will Levis, I think it makes sense for that same 6-7-8. Lions, Raiders, Falcons and sitting for a year because he could be. I, I think Will Levis could be really good, but the guy I think has the most upside in this draft is Richards. But again, those first two, those first two teams should absolutely not take it. It doesn't make sense. Right. That's just like when Mahomes went. You know, Watson went before him because it was a better fit. It was a better pick at the time. Because it was a better fit. You couldn't play Mahomes day one, and Deshaun Watson had to play day one. Right. Um, I'll say this. But that's not how – But that, go ahead. You look at those, I think you get the four quarterbacks in the top four picks. And, you know, those teams are desperate for quarterbacks. They're going to overdraft. That's what's going to be. We're yeah. going to see trades, whatever it is, um, and, and go that route. At five, I think that's another turning point. We talk about three being a turning point. Yeah. You know, the next one at five with Seattle there, because you look at this Seahawks situation, they seem to really like Jalen Carter, who I think's the second best player in this draft behind Will Anderson. Uh, Mel Kuyper has him as the number one player overall, but you got this whole stuff of this. This uh, this car wreck in Georgia, um, he's been charged with misdemeanors. Uh, you know, it's he, he's not going to go to jail, but he had a bad pro day, uh, you know, and all that. I still would take him at five personally, but if they don't take him at five, then all of a sudden there's another opportunity. Is Seattle trading up to maybe make a move for Richardson? Are they trading down and trying to – collect more picks for next year, potentially. That's another turning point in this draft. If Jalen Carter doesn't go at five, then I, I, there's a whole a whole wave of possibilities that open all of a sudden. Yeah. If Jalen Carter or Will Anderson is not done at five, they're not going till nine. Yeah. I mean, it's just, well, no, because the quarterbacks will all be gone by then. Um, so maybe I should take a step back on that. But – if you're Seattle sitting there at five, if Anthony Richardson drops in your lap, I'd like to see, and you know this better than I do, um, what is Geno's contract? It's a three-year deal, right? Three years, but only this next year is guaranteed. 
Okay, so that's my question is that, okay, and you got to pull him in the room and say, hey, we promised you this. We're going to give gave you the big bonus. What do you think? Can you be a mentor to this kid? Because for Gino, you're already on house money, having got a new, a new contract. Right. He was he was never expecting that. I, I think going into last year, he was hoping, hey, let me just skate through here. You know, man, I don't mean skate through the playing ability, but in the way the money works. Thinking I'm going to be a backup most of my rest of my career. I'm not going to be a franchise guy. He's going to get some franchise money for a couple of years. You know, so go and ask him, hey, look, you're not going to be the future in two or three years. Let's do this. That's a great fit. I know that there's a lot. I think this is going to be an exciting draft day. I think the most exciting we've had in a few years. And I think that we're going to see a flurry of trades or talk about trades. Three, four, five. Yeah. And then we'll see what happens from there. Those quarterbacks are going. They're going to go early. And I just can't imagine that Arizona doesn't trade. I just – it would be different if it was – whether it's Will Anderson, whether it's Jalen Carter, it's different if you can get that one player, you got a quarterback, and you think you're that one player away. You had the anomaly here last year. Maybe your quarterback got hurt, which is what happened to them. And you think, we're not coming to top five again. Right. Okay, let me get the best available player because we're close. They ain't close is the thing. Let me throw you one more potential trade-up candidate to potentially grab one of those quarterbacks. See what you think of this. Um, We heard reports this past week that Belichick is pissed with Mac Jones, not only because he had the down year, but also the fact that he was seeking outside help uh, for the offense, the Alabama coaching staff he worked with, which ironically enough, they hired Bill O'Brien. That didn't go over well with Belichick. He's not happy. Rumors are that he's shopping Mac Jones. Um, we also heard that straight from Robert Kraft say that if they wanted to make a move for Lamar, that'd be Bill's decision. He could if he wants to. Um, is there any way you think that Belichick – makes a move to get one of these quarterbacks in the draft and moves on from Mac or Lamar Jackson deal or something, or is this all just smoke? Uh, what do you, what do you make of that situation? It, and if Mac Jones is back in new England or not, okay. I think that it makes more sense for the Patriots to trade for Lamar than it does for them to draft up the trade up for a quarterback. Um, first off, it's a very non Belichick thing to trade up. <laughs> it's the opposite of a Belichick thing. And then secondly, you got to give a lot, and they're sitting at 14. It'd be different if they were sitting there with the Lions, the Raiders, and the Falcons at 6, 7, and 8. 14 ain't worth nearly as much. Think about it if you're the Cardinals or if you're the Seahawks. You're not getting one of those top two players if you trade down to 14. You're just going to get another one of the seven corners that are going to go in this first round. So you're going to get – you, and you would get Mac Jones and probably a number one next year. But if you hand them – if you're handing them that pick and that pick is going to be, you know, I don't know what – none of these four quarterbacks might need to get better immediately. But do you trust they're going to be that much better? Right. To me, it makes sense for Belichick to make a deal to go get a Lamar. Right. Yeah. I – Mac Jones seems like a New England kind of guy. 
Does it make I, and, sense of Belichick being pissed at Mac? Is that no, and I, you know what? We never know what's really going on in that room, whether it's Belichick's mad about this or not. Who knows? You know, and, and I think a lot of times people will read into things and report things as fact. Yeah. When really it's maybe Belichick didn't like lunch that day and went, God damn it. And it's just, and fucking Bryce and fucking Matt Jones on top of this. Right. You know, just something that easy and simple sometimes. If it you is, know, a true, lot of if it well, is, the true, thing though, is, is, that, that is a, it matter? If it is true, is that an overreaction or, or as a coach, well, do you have a, a right to be pissed for Mac seeking outside help like that? Well, I, I if he's seeking outside help and he's talked to Belichick about it, I don't think it's that big a deal. I, I don't know. I, here's my thing is that, and, and you know this, Tyler, I think a lot of it is so often we hear a snippet of something. Someone was upset about this. and Someone was upset about this. How many times in your life you've been upset with somebody and two hours later it was all good? Oh, yeah. All the time. That's just what grown fucking people do. And that's what's going to happen in a football locker room, right? You're going to be mad at you're going to be mad at your teammate. You're going to be mad at the kid. You got your coach. You're going to be mad at your coach, and then or someone's going to do something and think that they're doing something good when maybe someone takes offense to that, right? I think in the end, it's not meant to be offensive. If Mac Jones went out and said, "Fuck you." I'm sure. going to go talk to these coaches, you know, in Alabama and get some help. That's different. But if he went, you know what, coach ain't here right now. Because this is the time where coaches, some coaches aren't in the office right now. Right. Uh, this is scouts who are doing this stuff right now. And so, you know, if he's not there or he can't focus on what he's doing, well, it was with during Jones, the season was the report. Yeah. Yeah. If he, during the season, if they're upset, okay, grown ass people are going to be upset with one another. And it's and an hour later, two hours later, and you just go revisit it six months later. I think a lot of times we hear these little factoids like that or little things like that, and it's clickbait. It's right. More, and that's what it is. Yeah. I really think that's what this is. I don't – the only reason – you made the – you asked the question was, which way would I go if I was the, the Patriots? Don't see how they can move up to the top five. 14 is too far to move up because of what you're going to get in return, what the other team's getting in return. Yeah, but it would make a lot of sense for the Patriots to go after Lamar, and I think Lamar is a good fit. So at fourteen, that's a pick you could sell. That you could go to the Ravens and say you get fourteen this year and you get next year's one. Let's do the deal because it's only going to be two. You only get two two for Lamar. It's only going to get you two. Not giving you anything else. Because that's how it's going to work. Otherwise, I'm going to sign him to an Throw office. in Mac Jones. <laughs> yeah. Well, you might. You might go in and say, okay, we'll give you our number 14 overall pick. Next year's two. And, and Jones. I mean, yeah, you can work out a deal. Yeah. And I think that's more likely than the Patriots going all the way up. And in that case, I don't think that's more of a – I don't think that's as as much of Belichick doesn't like Mac Jones or Belichick this or that. I think it's just, hey, look, if you could trade your quarterback for Lamar, would you right now? Yeah. I think there's 25 teams in this league that would say yes. 
Right. Yeah. I I think Mac is actually a decent quarterback too. I think you put him with Belichick with uh with Bill O'Brien this year. He should have a bounce back year. Juju's coming in. Um, I mean, a lot of this that's been made out of Mac Jones this past year. I mean, you you gave him, uh, you know, pencil head, uh, Patricia to be his OC, a defensive coordinator. Of course, yeah. that wasn't going to go well. Um, yeah. so we'll see what goes on this year. Let's move on to talk some college football now. The Big Ten's got a new commissioner, um, and he, he comes from a baseball background, professional sports, and everything. Bo, uh, you know, Kevin Warren was on a – he was playing like the game of risk where he was trying to take over college athletics, it seemed like, and got some pushback from from uh, from some of the commissioners that they weren't wanting to go that same route. Now I wonder – I think we all expect the Big Ten to eventually at some point get to 20 teams, same with the SEC too, but I don't know what the sense of urgency is going to be uh, for the Big Ten with – with uh, expansion wise, especially consider, I don't know, I don't think Kevin Warren was going to leave for the Bears job had he been able to do what he wanted with the Big Ten. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it kind of pulled back in the reins a little bit here. Well, so I'm seeing that as I'm reading more about him, I just don't know that much about uh, Tony, Tony Petita? Petiti? Tony Petita, yeah. He, I, I know he worked for MLB. He was an executive there. He was uh, an executive also. He knows he's, He's worked with a lot of networks. Uh, some of the things he's got relationships with ABC, CBS, and MLB Network. Um, he's worked with all these in his experience. He has those relationships. You know, I I think there's something to you keep hiring business people for these jobs. That's what you got to do. And go in and get somebody who they've got a big long contract now with TV rights. But if there's if there's more money to be made, you want someone who's got the experience at a high level to help make it. Right. Which the Big Ten's done here. I like the way you put it though about the game of risk on that. And it did seem like the Big Ten was was playing risk. Right. Yeah. I didn't it seemed that way. And you know, the, the Big Ten, I I look at as much as we talk about the SEC being the football powerhouse that it is, Bo, the Big Ten, uh, I think they have been the example, the standard bearer when it comes to how media rights deals should be done. They were the ones that got the conference network first. This new TV deal, they're on three of the big four networks uh, in all three time windows. They're bringing in more money than anybody else here. I mean – Yes, the SEC is who everybody wants to be on the field, but money-wise, I think everybody, the, the Big Ten's shown that they know what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, I think the Big Ten's outflanked the SEC in the money thing right now, and the SEC just thought that well, no one will catch us, and uh, the Big Ten has done a fantastic job of doing just that. It, it's it's interesting to me. I agree with a lot with what you're saying there. It's it's. Where is this going to go from here? It's, I don't know, we're in an interesting time in the business of college sports right now. And the Big Ten has now outflanked the SEC in where they're moving forward to. And where they're using multiple networks and then 
you know, there's still going to be third tier rights. They're still going to happen. They're going to go to Amazon. They're going to go to to Apple. And when that happens, even more money coming in. You know, you're going to see more. I think the Big Ten also has done with their Peacock deal is they're going to get more sports on Peacock. So you're going to see more women's basketball, more baseball, um, even things like wrestling and and, and um, swimming and diving. You're going to see some of that stuff on there now. Right. It, it gives this broad thing to a broad platform to help everybody. Yeah. In college. Well, and, and and one more thing on the the Big Ten front, um, you know the the Amazon situation. You know we've heard Amazon being talks with the Pac-12. I feel like almost, Bo, you know, the if the Big Ten is going to be able to pay Oregon and Washington a full share, they have to get another media partner involved. That's what it sounds like. And yeah. so if you're Amazon, I mean, you got some control of some sorts here now, don't you? Like, we could keep the Pac-12 around and go with a deal with those guys and create a TV package, or – we could invest the money in the Big Ten enough to bring Oregon and Washington and go that route. Seems like Amazon kind of has the 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 cards in their deck, per se, uh, as far as the direction of college sports goes, whether the, the Pac-12 continues or if they want to go with Oregon, Washington, UC, USC, and UCLA to the, to the Big Ten. Seems like Amazon's got some power here. Yeah, I think that Amazon and I think Apple is in that group as well. Uh, and you may be able to include Google with YouTube TV. Um, I don't know if they're going to put out too much into the whole Sunday ticket thing. But I think you look right now, the partners, the, the where the Big Ten and the SEC had ESPN and Fox and NBC all in front of the gun, so to speak. Now the, the game is played a different way. Now we've got the providers are now able to say, well, we've already spent our big money and we can make this work one way or the other with or without you. So the, the, the stroke now, the power now does go back to, you know, specifically Amazon in this case. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right about that. Uh, one more thing, and then we'll uh, wrap up the uh, football fix for this week, Bo. Um, USC hires Cliff Kingsbury to be their uh, quarterbacks coach. Uh, I feel like this is kind of a resume pattern for Cliff Kingsbury of all the great quarterbacks he's worked with, from uh, yeah. you know Johnny Menzel to Patrick Mahomes uh, to Kyler Murray, and now gets said Caleb Williams to that list. Uh, while probably getting all his buyout money from the Cardinals at the same time. Gets to work with his buddy Lincoln Riley there at SC. But Caleb Williams already looks like he's on track to be the number one pick, Heisman Trophy winner and everything. Um, USC going to be, you know, a team that's going to be favored to try to make the playoff this year. Uh, I can't imagine anything but, but positives come from bringing Kingsbury to work with Caleb Williams this year, right? No, I agree. Absolutely. And I think Caleb Williams got to love it. I'm wondering if this is, yeah, I think you said it's kind of resume padding, but it's almost like um, now you have USC turning into Alabama West. You know, bring us your poor, your huddle masses. Let's see what, give me the ex coaches who we know are good coaches, but they didn't have a great success somewhere. 
you know, look at what Alabama did with, you know, Lane Kiffin and Bill O'Brien and others. Sorry. You know, Steve Sarkeesian. And now USC has this chance. They got a pile of money they can spend on it. And there's no limit to what they can spend there on that. So why not? Right. Now, Cliff Clifford was almost the head coach there at one point. I mean, it was I mean, he was going to be the offensive coordinator when he got the Arizona Cardinals head, head coaching job. Right. And they were going to hire they were going to fire Clay Elton at some point. Yeah. So he, yeah. he would have been head coach. Yeah. Right. So I mean, this is this is a reclamation project for him and then he'll end up going back to the NFL or to a high-end uh, college job. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a win-win for USC and for and for Kingsbury. I, I think the biggest winner is Caleb Williams here, though. Uh, here is – we know that Caleb Williams is going pro next year. Lincoln Riley has already done a great track record when it comes to getting quarterbacks ready for the draft. Cliff Kingsbury, say what you want about Cliff. Um, he knows quarterbacks, and he knows how to get NFL quarterbacks. He, he's going to give Caleb everything he needs. Is uh, he, he doesn't need much yet already, but – I mean, he's going to have every, you know, I dotted and T cross to get him ready for the NFL. Yeah, he's already going to be the number one pick in the draft next year. And now it's going to be, you know, and I've talked about this. I think Caleb Williams is going to be a superstar. Yeah. I mean, I really, if he was the, if he was in this draft, he'd be the number one pick. Yes. And I don't think it's any, I don't think anything's secret about that. He, he, he's um, the best prospect since Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, he might be the best prospect even before that. I mean, he's maybe since Andrew he has Luck. a. Yeah, that's a really good and that's a good comp, too. I think that Caleb Williams is going to be an excellent. And if he's one of those guys, that's so good, no matter where he goes, you can't mess that up. Right. So, I mean, now you just got to think he's just got to look at it and go, OK, I'm making myself ready to be the guy. And he will be. He'll be the guy, you know, um, you know, day one when he gets there. Yeah, I think so. Bo, uh, before we go here, tell us uh, what's coming up on the the podcast here. Uh, we're going to be doing podcast here probably tomorrow. Um, we've got – we're going to talk a little bit about the NBA play-in tournament. I have some thoughts about how the NBA is being played right now. Um, <laughs> I might have to bring you in for this one. Um, so I got some thoughts there. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the draft. We're going to do a draft special in like two weeks. Uh, we're already working that out. It'll be out the week of the draft. And then um, just kind of little pieces here and there. We're going to talk about what's on Coach Bo's mind more than anything else this week. All right. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisor Group, OAGKS.com, O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com. Bo's going to stick around as uh, we'll have our Tom Fullery story of the week this week. And, uh, you know, when, when Tom's out, we uh, we typically uh, bring in Bo to uh, go to the mailbag and give his uh, fatherly advice. As the uh, Greg Cody of this show, uh, Bo is uh, very good about giving us uh, his uh, his opinions from his perspective and and uh, on life and things and answering viewer questions that people send us. And so, uh, Tom, you're standing by and uh, you got a uh, loaded mailbag of questions for uh, for us to react to, but in particular for, for Bo to give his thoughts on. Right, Tom? Yeah, I got two. I mean, well, from time to time we get these and there's some of them that have 
been in there for a little bit because it's been a while since we've done this so you know it's not like we're exploding every week with uh you know with different questions but from time to time we get these and like to save them up when we get some good ones uh and so i have two um here and we're gonna go with let me see let me pull up the first one we're gonna go with let's Let's do this one. Let's do Allie from Tucson. Allie from Tucson writes, My friend owes me $500, and I can see her on Venmo going out for dinner and drinks. Can I confront her about this? Um, that's subject. Um, but she put in here, What's up, guys? This is Allie. I'm from Tucson, Arizona. I'm 24, and I'm a longtime fan of the show. I wanted to get your opinion on something if you have a few minutes. A few months ago, I let my ex-roommate borrow $500. Man, what 24-year-old has $500 to just lend out like that? Her parents, out. Her parents must be rich. Um, I let my ex-roommate borrow $500 to pay her car insurance. That's also very expensive. Car insurance. There's got to be... Okay, maybe car insurance and some other service. I don't know. Anyway, whatever it's for, Allie, car insurance or who cares? You loaned her 500 bucks to do whatever she needed to do with it. She paid Allie back 150 right away and still owes Allie 350 bucks for like over the course of the last three months since she gave it to her. Allie says she hasn't pushed her for the money and was hoping she'd Venmo her a few bucks here or there until she got it paid back. Um, Ali says she went on Venmo the other day to send another friend money after she paid the drinks the night before and then saw the friend that she had sent the money to that that person had Venmoed one of her other friends $50 for drinks. Uh, and then Allie went and looked at the history of this girl that she uh, is waiting for money from and she's Venmoed over $300 over the last few weeks to other people and hasn't paid Allie anything back other than the 150 uh, Allie asks, so what should I do? Should I just bite my lip and wait patiently for this girl to pay me? Or should I confront her and ask her when she can send me the rest of the money? Bo, what say you? Okay, I, uh, I've been on both sides of this one. Uh, yeah, this, this time I've owned Josie money before. Um... <laughs> It wasn't a loan. There was no loans. Um, but no, you know, um, you know, when you deal with loans and, and you deal with young people, you kind of know that you're going to have a loss at some point. So the way you got to bring this up is either, either you don't bring it up and you just keep things moving, or it's the um, how do you stay close to somebody when they still owe you that? If, it, if it's important to you, I'll say it like this. You mentioned earlier, Tom, I think it's a really good point. How the fuck does a 24-year-old have 500 bucks and just lend to somebody? If they put it together, if they said, hey, um, I, I had to scrape and get this together, but I got you. Here you go. Well, then you need to get that taken care of. You need to pay for that. But if that person just has it because they got it, and they loan you 500 bucks, and you're young, and you're struggling. You know, it's one of those things where you got to say, well, okay, I, sometimes they just forget. We'll forget shit, too. But you can also just say, okay, I'll get there when I get there. They just don't need that much money. 
You know, she got it already like that. I, I'm of two minds about this, Allie. But what I will say is, if you owe somebody money, pay that motherfucker back. Get it done. Because it will ruin a friendship. And that's you got to get on top of that. And, like, and I've been there. I have been there where I have been the borrower and the borrowee. And that's frustrating. Here's the tip you got to really know, though. If you owe somebody some motherfucking money and you worry about people finding out about things, set your Venmo on private. You should set your Venmo on private any damn way because don't you know what I didn't know about your business. If you got Venmo and you don't have your settings set for private, you're a dumbass. Because you're going to get caught doing something you shouldn't be doing at some point or other. I mean, it may not be because you owe your homie 500 bucks, but you're going to do something fucked up. You're going to pay somebody back or you're going to buy something, maybe, you know, whatever it is. Some That's a great way of getting caught. Is by having your Venmo not set to private. My shit's set on private. Nobody knows what I'm sending money to. I think it's hilarious, too, that Venmo, whenever they set it up, put that out in the public, in the open, and the fact that you can add friends or whatever, I'm like, Who's trying to social network on Venmo? Yeah, no shit. <laughs> Scam artists are the ones who social network on fucking Venmo. <laughs> yeah, I, first thing first. <laughs> yeah, keep them settings private. All right, Tom, weigh in here. What do you think here? Uh, you know, if I was her, I would drop her a line and be like, hey, uh, just checking back in. I, you know, I would come up. I'm a pretty non-confrontational person for the most part, depending on what it is. Um, but I might, if I was this girl, I would be like, yo, you know, I would be like, hey, I got to pay some other people off. Um, you know, I need this money to pay these other people off. And then be like, can you get me, you know, at least this much money then? And then kind of reinforce like a... Uh, I don't know, like a, a friendly go about it in a nice, non-confrontational way. But like, say like, hey, I also need this money because, not because I want it back and I need to sit back on my little nice nest egg to 500 that I can just throw around whenever. But uh, more so of like, um, yo, I need, need this money to pay other people and go about that route. But... Uh, yeah, I've been, like Bo said, I've been the borrowee and the, you know, I've been the lender and the, uh, I've been on both sides of it. So, um, definitely really a weird situation to put yourself in or get yourself in. I've also heard that, uh, you know, one of the general rules, it's one of those life rules, kind of like, uh, don't talk about, uh, what is it? Don't talk about money relationships or, or money politics or religion at work this is an this is another life lesson of if you lend friends money or don't lend anybody money that you know or don't ask, i don't i'm trying to think how they there's a there's a cadence slash phrase of of saying you know don't lend friends or family money that and expect to see it again like any amount of money yeah. that you to friends or family 
be okay with lending that money with a chance that you might not see that money again. Oh, totally. I agree with that too. It's like, if you loan loan money to a friend, don't even think about that shit as a loan. Just say, man, I'm giving it. Don't you may not have to say it, but in your mind, it's a gift. Right, right. Because otherwise, shit's gonna go bad. Be interested to see, you know, does she gonna go? Too, I would add in, guys. Um, cash is still king. Like there are certain things. I know we talked about the Venmo privacy settings, but. I know, like, the government's tracking Venmo stuff now and, you know, goes against your taxes and all that. Cash is still a very good thing. And paying your friend back uh, for the drinks you owed or something like that, uh, you know, give me cold, hard cash. That's still a good move. Yeah, cash is definitely king. Though, if you're paying your homie back for dinner or for the drinks, make sure you put the note in there of drinks. I say this as someone who's been through an IRS audit. So... They'll, the IRS will look at that shit and be like, oh, that's income. Like, no, 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 that's not. Well, how can you prove it? Well, I can prove it because he put paying me back for drinks. Shit like that. You didn't, you didn't get like a $1,000 payment from Jones just jokingly and put like the eggplant and the splashes of water? <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have sent like a payment to my wife before and put sex in the uh, comment, Dill. <laughs> yeah. and, and hers is not set to private, so I, I did that knowing that. So that's always fun. Then, so you had to pay for pay- so, Well, more than anything, I just wanted like someone to see it and then comment it to her so she can be like, oh my God, and right. get me back. You know. Congrats on, congrats on the sex. On his- yeah. Uh Tom, uh, we got another one. Go ahead and read uh, the next one. Let me pull this up here. This is Jill from Pennsylvania writing in. She is 28. Um, And she's having some looks. Let me read through. Looks like she's having some dating woes. Here we go. Oh, this is Jonesy right here. Right? (laughs) She's having some dating problems. And... uh, She's asking, is she a placeholder or not? And Jill, 28, from Pennsylvania writes, I was dating a guy um, for a couple months, but things weren't very solid between us. He was hot and cold about getting serious, but I was pretty infatuated with him. Um, And then she kind of goes on and and hints that some some other stuff came up and uh, just some life issues on both ends it looks like from what i can see i won't get i won't blare her out or hang her out to dry with anything else that she put in here but she said he suddenly started taking things more serious and then by like what was this i guess last august uh they were officially a couple but even though they were official she still felt like he wasn't making solid plans for us as a couple things like going away together meeting each other's family A friend of mine suggested that I might just be a relationship placeholder for him. Jill also mentions that he is the same age, like a year older, so like 29. Friend of mine, like I said, friend of mine suggested that I might just be a relationship placeholder for him, that he was just keeping me around because I fulfilled his needs, but he wasn't fulfilling mine. When my friend said that out loud to me, it hurt, but I realized she might be right, so I broke things off. But now, after a month apart, this I guess this past month, 
Uh, this guy's begging to get back together and promised me, promising me everything I want. I'm torn. Should I trust him or will things just go right back to the way they were before? What do you think, Tyler, Tom, and Bo? Any advice for me? Signed, Jill28 from Pennsylvania. So, Bo, there's a term for this. It's called a slump buster. And uh, I think it's one of those deals where she may have been a slump buster to begin with, but he didn't realize how good he got it until she was gone. I don't know if it's a quote-unquote slump buster. That's a little different. That's not something you date on and on. I don't. Maybe you've never been in a slump, Tyler. I don't know what to tell you. But I, I the thing. Relationships are weird, and she's twenty-eight. Ain't nobody in their right damn mind at twenty-eight. Neither you two motherfuckers are. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, so, with the bleep in their time, be okay. Um, so, um, yeah, you know, the, the question is always. You notice the women always ask the question of, "Will it go back to being what it was?" Well, the answer is probably yes. But it may take some time for it to get there. So at least enjoy that part. Or just keep it moving. My relationship advice to anybody is if you want to be with somebody, be with them. If you don't want to be with somebody, get out. Don't worry about anything else. And if you're so just distraught that you lost somebody, either keep it moving, get over it, and go to the next person. Or or figure out a way to get that person back. This per this woman, what was your name again? Jill. Jill. Jill seems like she needs to get her shit together. I'm going to be real blunt here. She, she's 28. She has her friend say, you might be a placeholder. Look, I'm going to tell you the first problem. You, I'll bet you dollars to donuts that the friend is also single. Yeah. And here's why. Your single friend will be the one to plant that bullshit in your head. Because they don't want you to be happy either. And you're in your late 20s. You all got that one friend, especially women, got that one friend who's like unhappy. And all her friends are seeing the people. And they're getting married. And they're having children. And they're moving on with their lives. And she's the one bitch by herself. There's a reason you by yourself. And that's what I'm betting Jill's going through. Jill's got her friend over there slipping in her ear saying, hey, it's better to let this person go because you're just a placeholder anyway. And I think Jill said it right when she said, hey, it hurts to hear that. Sure it does. It also hurts sometimes if it's true. But what I'm willing to bet. Tom, you with me on this? I'm willing to bet. This is the friend getting involved in some bullshit. I can see that. I can see that. I think I definitely need and some so, I, I Here's what I'm going to tell Jill. I Go can, back to the dude and ways. kick the friend to the curb. I can see it both ways. I can see it both ways because then, uh, you know, this dude could be slow playing and just kind of like, yeah, she's a, you know, she could say they're boyfriend and girlfriend and then, you know, she finally got sick of a shit and broke up and then he was like, damn, I don't have a booty call anymore. And then... <laughs> You know, was like, all right, well, just keeping around just to, you know, bang on the weekends. I don't, you know, maybe. So I could, I could see it both ways of, of maybe he was getting some good head and then that good head left. And now, you know, now he's like, damn, I ain't got head in a month. So let me call Jill up and be like, hey, 
So like, he called her back, right? No, he well, he's wanting to get back with her, and she okay. doesn't. I, I think you're right here, Tom. I think that, that what you're going at is true. I think that he's trying to get back in there because no dude is like, oh, the relationship's not working. She leaves with some bullshit like that, and he's got to think, oh, I need her back. No, he's figured out that your crazy-ass friend got involved in some bullshit, and now he doesn't want to deal with that shit either. So I think that you're right, Tom. I think he was just thinking, God, I'm lonely. I'm not lonely in that I need to have somebody here with me, but I need someone here with me right now. He needs some post-nut clarity. Yeah, I think what we need to have to do here is, I think you're exactly right, spot on. And I think what we got to do here is we got to have an intervention for the man. That, well, that, and if, if, you know, if I was Jill in the situation, I'd leave the friend and I'd leave the boyfriend and I'd go on and find the greener grass. You know what? That's a good, that's a good idea. That's probably what I would do too. Just that's, cut bait. That's probably the best advice. Yeah. I just did. Cut bait and get up out of here. There's, there's, there's too many fish, plenty in, of the fish in the sea. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah. even Joe's going to find somebody eventually. Yeah, so eventually. Simple. Uh, if we're all so lucky. Uh, now, I think about this, too, with, with this ordeal. Um, if, let's say, she goes back to the guy, um, Bo, you said that you feel like it can go back to the way things were before, but can they... Is it salvageable enough to rebound of uh, of, of keeping it going and even building from there? Or is that just kind of, or are you just hoping to get back to what you were? I think the biggest thing in relationships, this is serious spoken. Okay. Don't have an expectation. Yeah. Just let things, you know what I mean by this? Let things happen as they happen. And if you go back and you want to be together, it's going to work or it's not going to work. If it works, then it's great. If it doesn't work, that too is great. Yeah. It doesn't matter. In the end, just do what you think's right for you and let the cards play out as they play out. I mean, but Jill needs to get Jill first thing first. Jill needs to get her friend up out the paint. Yes. And then she needs to figure out with the dude if they want to be together, then try being together. Now if she's gonna find out that he just wants her to come over. As Tom was saying, well, then she needs to dump his ass, too. Right. But it ain't going to be sunshines and rainbows and everything is a perfect day from the day one. Right. Doesn't work that way. Right. So I, both things can be true at the same time. I feel like the, the, the modern woman of 2023, um, you know, Obviously, she wants to be with a hot guy, you know, and, and have that going for him. But if he's not that, if he can provide for her and, and and be fun to be around, protect her, and you know, have his stuff figured out, then I mean, he's got he's almost there at that point. I mean, you you pretty much like you, you just can't get in your own way sometimes, and that, that that's the biggest problem with us men, us guys, Bo, and you see it with. Guys, Tom and Isaiah, you know, some of us sometimes we just get in our own way too often. That's true too. I think everybody gets in their own way too often. Now, I do think that relationships are weird, and that I do think that women—and I don't know this for God, just my 
my experience. Women look at relationships different than men because yeah. they were taught to be a princess. And they, you know, this this whole thing about, and they have a maternal instinct and being part of a family, you know, and dudes are just dudes. We're assholes, all of us, myself included. And no dude grew up thinking, I want to be a great husband, this and this. You can be one and you can want to be one, but you don't grow up thinking that is your mentality. Right. When I think a lot of times, it's a double standard. It's just not fucking fair, to be perfectly frank. But then there's a double standard of, well, women are taught they have to be a certain way. Right. Certainly not fair, but that mindset is there. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, women nowadays, in my view, get yours, do what you're going to do, be happy. If this dude makes you happy, be with that dude. And then flip side, dude, if a woman makes you happy, be with her. If she if he doesn't, if she doesn't, get out. Uh, Don't hang around. There's no reason to hang around in a bad relationship. Not even kids is a good reason for that shit. Yeah. Tom, uh, any final thoughts before we uh, end the show here uh, on uh, on this topic? That, that's pretty spot on. You know, if, uh, you know, there there is a time if I had to compare both stories, if I had to choose which situation I'd rather be in, I would much rather be in the somebody owes me $350 then that, that's a that's a lot less taxing on my mental health uh, than yeah relationship drama. I've been on I've been on both sides of, of each story, and I would much rather owe or be owed three hundred fifty bucks than to deal with uh, relationship bullshit. You remember? Have any of you guys ever seen the movie, the movie A Bronx Tale? No, I have not. Okay, there's a movie called The Bronx Tale where. It's a great movie. Check it out. It's not especially a dude. Check it out. Um, this kid's mad at this other kid, and he has like the, this young teenager, and he's he's got this uh, mobster that's like uh, like a father figure to him. And one day, the kids run around the neighborhood. It takes place in New York, obviously in the Bronx, which is called Bronx Tale. And the kid is this kid owes this kid, this teenager owes this other teenager money, and they. Kid who's owed the money is following the kid. He's like, "Hey, come here. You owe me this. You owe me twenty bucks. You owe me this." And it was like twenty bucks. And this is like in the sixties still, which is more money than it is now. But he's talking to the his mentor comes over and he says, "Hey, what are you doing?" And he goes, "The kid every day I see him and he's not paying me the money he owes me. This and that. He runs from me." And he goes, "How much does he owe me?" It was twenty bucks. And he says, "Look, don't worry about it." That's 20 bucks. You'll never have to. He says, for 20 bucks, you just got rid of this guy for the rest of your life. You got off cheap. <laughs> That's somehow, sometimes how you look at money. If someone's going to borrow money from you, you probably don't, you're probably not going to want to be with them long term. Yeah. So getting off for 400, 500 bucks sometimes can be cheap for some people. That's what that's a good way to end today's show. Um, a lot of good insights, uh, a lot of good life advice and just everything in between. Jim Williams, want to thank him for joining us as well. Uh, check out his work, all that he's doing uh, with Forbes uh, and uh, his uh, media consulting company. We had a great chat with him. Uh, big thanks, to Jim, for stopping by. Bo, for being here. Tom, as well. 
Subscribe to the show. New episodes out each and every week. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. Hit us up on social media, facebook.com slash Tyler Jones Live. Facebook.com slash Studio Soapbox. Twitter at Tyler Jones Live. At uh, Thomas underscore Bridges. Uh, studio underscore Soapbox. And uh, Instagram, Jones underscore Report. Instant Thomas. And at Tyler Jones Live, you can find us there. For our entire crew, I'm Tyler Jones. Thanks so long. It's been another edition of Jones Report. We'll see you next week.